Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send him! Welcome to the world of winning. Welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham, and joining me, as always, he had hoped that with uh, the clock going for an hour, he could gain performance, but it's just not that easy. If only we were so Mercedes. It's, uh, it's Luke Holmes. How are we doing, Graham? Hi. Hi. Hi, he's the early victim of the clocks going forward. I think you've turned out to be. Yeah, I'm very pissed off about it to be honest. But, you know, <laughs> that's not, it's not the first time that's happened. <laughs> well, go on, go on, explain, explain your plight. Um, MotoGP season kicked off this weekend. I saw the sprint race on the Saturday. Really looking forward to seeing the race. It said three o'clock. Um, I turned the stream on at three o'clock, and we're seeing the podium celebrations. Not very happy. So, the, not only have you missed the race, but also been spoiled as to the results. Yes, yes. I knew what was going to happen. Who was going to win the race, regardless? But now, the extent well, the extent yeah. that I know is that Mark Marquez got pole. He did. Out of a very surprising pole. But did that end up being the case for the race win? No. Okay, so there's some sort of there are some dominant forces there that. Uh, yes, the Italians are very dominant. Shall wow, we say. I haven't heard that one before. I'm, sorry, I haven't heard that for a while. <laughs> yes, Ducati OP. Ducati OP. Yes, <laughs> nobody will understand that reference. No, not a single yet. one, <laughs> apart from one or two other people. Yeah. I'm not explaining either. Uh, I don't understand it myself. <laughs> I don't think I do either. It doesn't even like it doesn't even, it doesn't mean, even the, mean the no. It yeah. doesn't even mean that word in German either. Oh dear, oh dear. As an inside joke, going back far too long. Yeah. Anyway, uh, right. So no race, obviously, on the previous week. So, but there was there is some bits to clean up. There's actually two things I want. Actually, one or two things I want to talk about. First, let's just go through the Alonso stuff. Obviously, we recorded the podcast last week uh, after the confusion. Uh, but before Alonso had been reinstated his third place. Now, a lot of stuff that he says still applies, of course, to the ridiculous nature of those decision-making of the stewards and how long it took. But the Alonso, we weren't sure, because, and I'm glad that the race talked about this in their podcast, uh, talked about how annoying it was, how long it took for documents to come through. It wasn't just me. I was trying to scour the FIA website and the podcast, and nothing, nothing came up. So, for reference, I believe we went back, I believe, there was a, there was a. I remember the 2021 British Grand Prix. Uh, we, we talked about the Hamilton Verstappen collision, and the FIA documents are already ready to go when we were doing the podcast. So, yeah, you know, like generally speaking, they they they're usually quick with this kind of thing. I, we want. I want to basically want to see why on earth the, it was a the penalty was given. Essentially, it wasn't as it turned out for working or serving a penalty during the safety car. That's you're, when you come into the pits. That's when you're supposed to serve it, regardless of. When a safety car is, when. yeah, mm. the only exception I believe is a drive-through penalty. Yes, but the penalty was given for the rear jack touching the car, as I said last week. Yeah, but of course we uh, wasn't. Uh, we didn't actually officially know. Yeah, that was yes. just we were trying to put piece stuff together. So, Asimov got this overturned because uh, there have been instances and precedent set of the front jack touching the front of the car then the five seconds, then the pit stop goes ahead. So they couldn't basically, because they'd been applied for the front jack, there wasn't there wasn't anything in the rules that was tight enough to prevent 
the same instance being applied to the rear jack. And Aston Martin went and found seven instances of the of, of penalty being served correctly with the front jack going up before the five seconds was being served. So there are plans to have this tightened up. I believe you'll you'll see this in the news uh, before the Australian Grand Prix that they're going to be tightening this up. So this instance of won't course. happen again. But. Uh, <laughs> I find it fascinating. Like what? I want like what seven instances did they find, and how quickly? Like obviously the penalty was overturned that night. So how fair play to Aston Martin for being honest and defined to do you have? Do you think they have that? Like how can you prepare for such an instance of having those ready to go to present to the stewards in the FIA? Surely they've got reserves and people on it who are constantly looking up the rules and things like that. So like they've got certain examples of it, but. Uh, to have seven examples of it is quite bizarre, but I guess you could quite easily go back and just look at Ocon's race in Bahrain for a, a very easy example, can't you? To see what happened there and how that all played out. There, there'll be just look at Oz, Ocon and Gasly. Basically, you'll you'll see plenty of uh, penalties being applied. <laughs> so yeah, well, I, look, I, I think it's just one of those where the loophole was very clear or the kind of the hole in the regulations very clear to be seen once exposed we had like a japan last year was obviously a good example of this as well and yes this will be tightened up and we'll move forward i wonder i'd be interested to see what it actually what's it, what it was going to entail this the rule change will it say that you can t- touch front but not rear can you will it say you can touch both front and rear or will it say you can uh, this is the jacks i'm talking about or will it say that you can't do anything and then when you have the five seconds, then the car can go up on the jacks. Mm. So it's, it's all very grey, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what they end up deciding upon. I, but I, again, I, be, I believe they're going to be talking about this at the Australian Grand Prix. So yeah, well, I'm sure we'll suddenly by the end of the week. Other two things that came to mind afterwards was obviously I, I want to, speaking of Aston Martin. Obviously, their pace was you know. There was a notion, perhaps, that they wouldn't be as quick in Jeddah as they were in Bahrain, a track where the tyre wear is a little bit harsher, and the Aston Martin was shown to be quite good in those tyres. Ended up proving that they only not only had the pace, but to kind of mix it with the top of the Ferrari and Mercedes, but obviously beyond that as well. So, sounds to reason that we've seen, especially with obviously Red Bull with their engine or their uh, the wind tunnel penalty coming up as well, that they're mm-hmm. going to obviously be. Uh, their, I think their advantage is going to be as much as it is now than it is at the end of the season, for for, for example. So I'd like the gap will will obviously shrink as the season mm-hmm. goes on, but obviously it won't be... We'll see what happens with two Red Bull drivers, which we'll talk about in a sec, but in terms of a title fight. But it sounds the reason that Aston Martin could and should close the gap to the point where... Again, we saw... Obviously, another example of this is Mercedes in 2020, uh, where obviously Red Bull mm-hmm. closed up at the end as well. Now, obviously, Red Bull turned that into a title challenge in 2021, but it stands to reason that, obviously, the end of the season comes, cars get closer together, we could see a few sneak wins here or there. Do we have to prepare ourselves for the possibility that Aston Martin will be in that mix where they can, and do you think they will gun for a, a victory? Yeah, in Australia. <laughs> Go on, tell no, us. Being, being, being legit, 100%. Yeah. There is also a very interesting stat that me and you both saw posted by com, I believe it was, on Twitter, where we spoke about, last week I believe it was, where all the drivers that have got 100 podiums or more, it was like six or seven, I believe it was, all of them won the race on their 101st podium type thing, I believe it was. So, and then guess who 
is on on track for his 101st podium at Australia, Mr. Fernando Alonso. The uh, the site you're referring to, um, there's a great there's a great Twitter, uh, Instagram account that this stat came from, and other stats come from. It's called, uh, the account is F1 Stats Guru who had this, and mm. the so it was Alan Prost. In 1993, Michael Schumacher in 2002, Lewis Hamilton in 2016, Sebastian Vettel in 2018, and Kimi Räikkönen in 2018, they all scored victories on their for their 101st podium. So, which obviously, as you mentioned, Alonso just recaptured that 100th podium. So, yeah, I mean, good precedent set with all those. Mm. So we'll see. Not impossible. Well, I mean, a lot of dominoes. Mm. A lot of dominoes need to fall, but their race pace is a lot better than the one lap pace i think so yeah i think so as well i think that much has been clear from uh bahrain and saudi so far but yeah mm. i mean like that's the thing like, i so maybe sooner maybe later but i think you will see a point where obviously between a red bull i you know obviously wanting to ab- abandon car development and aston martin likely will try and stretch for it because you never you never quite know and it, and isn't the mistake bmw made in 2008 you just never quite know what's going to happen next uh, between year to year. And I don't think you're going to have too many years where you have both Mercedes and Ferrari on, maybe on the down low, so to speak. We'll mm-hmm. see how Ferrari bounces back. Obviously, Mercedes will should get a little bit quicker throughout the year. But you just may, you may never get a chance again. And BMW made the decision in 08 to not go for the title and not and prioritize, prioritize 2009. So have a fantastic 2008 and obviously Kubica, who led the championship after his win in Canada. And they never got a chance to do anything really again. Uh, and that was, and obviously BMW pulled out at the end of 2009 uh, with the financial crisis. So you just never quite know. And there's a wonder of Aston Martin. And they've got longer term aspirations, of course. So like, they're not going hmm. to up and disappear within a year and a half, like from 2008, like, um, like BMW did, obviously. Obviously, different circumstance. But you still have to imagine, I think they will probably go for it. And with Alonso there, you'll imagine they'd be pushing for that as well. But we'll be interested to see how they play the short versus the long-term game in terms of what they do in 2023 versus getting set for 2024. Based on what I've seen of Lawrence Stroll, there is no way he bags down from winning Grand Prix. So, it, for me, even if there's nothing to fight for at the end of the season apart from the race wins, he's going to go for it with all guns blazing. Just to please sponsors and please the drivers, like even if the title was already gone, like he will go for it in my opinion, mm. just to make the most of the opportunity whilst it's there. Well, Mike, Mike, crack when I have to give him the hard sell for future success to try and safeguard that. But yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how they how that develops as the season yeah. goes on. Tug of war. Mm. Yes. Speaking of, um, I'm beginning to get more and more concerned about a possible split in Red Bull between their two drivers. Yes. One this, that you don't really notice until you dig a little bit deeper. The fracture signs are there. Mm. Obviously, going back obviously to last season in Brazil, but like even even with the fastest lap and the lap time uh, Delta shenanigans that were going on in Saudi between the two, um, and there did seem to be a little bit of tension uh, in quotes and and. and podium uh cool down room afterwards it's i don't know and especially in a situation where they obviously are going to be in a situation where they're going to be pretty much those two that by themselves yeah you know we've seen this happen in the past with obviously most recently mercedes with rosberg and, and hamilton 
Mm. Uh, when there's, you know, when you've got two people gunning for it, and Perez is certainly doing that as well. He's, you know, regardless of how far he's off, he's obviously pushing, wanting to push for the whole way. He's not settling into a bottas kind of, kind of role if given the choice. This is, you know, Perez has been around long enough at this stage and has been on the fringes of exiting Formula One that he's got a chance, the best chance now ever to go for a title. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I would have concerns about that heading if I'm forward. Checo, I'm worried. If you're Checo, you're worried. Yeah, that is his future at the team. Beyond 24 or before that? Beyond 23. Beyond 23? Okay. Mm-hmm. Even though he's contracted until the end of 24. Contracts mean nothing. Mm. <laughs> and there is too many good drivers available for... Yes, but <laughs> yes, but Horner. <laughs> funny that Horner had to had to go out of his way to rule out um, Lewis Hamilton for the twenty twenty four Red Bull seat. Yeah, which was bizarre. Only bizarre. Sky, only it Sky was... News could ask that question of him. Yeah, of all people, Lewis Hamilton would not be seen dead in a Red Bull. <laughs> uh, and never mind Max Verstappen being his teammate. Yeah, that is like the ultimate no no. It's not happening, is it? And of course, Sky obviously thought Sergio Perez was out of contract in 2023, even though they wrote an article explaining all the driver contracts. They did do that. (laughs) Not to mention, of course, Horner outright said it at the end of last year. Yeah. Yeah, Do do, do a little digging, please. Contradicting yourself, but yeah, whatever. Oh, dear. So yeah, I'm looking forward to those two dynamics will be season long, I think, to the Aston Martin thing and the Perez Verstappen thing, so we'll see, but... Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who backs down, but uh, mm. it's not going to be Max, is it? No, so it can only end well, right? Yeah. Uh, right, now moving on. Uh, this this is a piece of news that I think gave some fans, certainly well, a particular group of fans, me hope. Uh, it's an article that came out during the week from uh, race fans in Willwood talking about the FIA inviting tyre manufacturers to bid for the supply of F1 tyres from 2025. So, uh, yeah, this is what we need. So, an invitation to tender forms uh, the first step in the FIA's process of nominating an exclusive tyre supplier for its three major international single series championships, this being uh, F1, F2 and F3. Um, chosen supplier will obviously do 18-inch wheels for the three seasons. Uh, interesting that it's only for a three, but... Uh, so basically, a pretty indicated uh, that their intention is to continue to supply Formula 1's tyre for the upcoming period. Uh, as during the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, pretty wish to remain until its role at least, at least 2027. The company's chief Formula 1 engineer, Simone Berra, said, we will be there and, and we will propose ourselves. Uh, so, look, there have been feelings been putting out there. The FI going out and inviting other provi- uh, suppliers is an interesting step as to maybe suggesting that they're not entirely happy with the product no Could you ma- imagine I wonder why that is imagine imagine I don't know like we've been saying it since we started this fucking podcast <laughs> uh, it's the other part of the interesting part of the tender is that the FIA's invitation to tender explicitly retains a performance cliff as a target for the tyres produced for the 25, 26, and 27 seasons. Okay. So, now, again, are we talking a 2011 cliff or are we talking something further down the line than that? Because 2011 cliff was extreme. 
uh, in terms of its cliff. Like, we're getting four or five stop races at times. That was fun for, like, three races. It was something that, yeah. Very quick. The drivers were getting pissed off with the tyres as well, like, that they couldn't basically last. You you, Look, you chat to any of the old school drivers, they'll tell you the best, the best tyre was the Bridgestones, uh, the the slick, probably the slick Bridgestones of 2009. Hmm. Um, anyone who's used Pirelli's afterwards or and the such. Anyway, so basically, like anyone who hung around from basically the mid two thousands till some point in the Pirelli era during the 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 the, uh, the noughties there, or not the noughties, the uh, the tens, will tell you that uh, how they feel about um, the tires now versus versus then. The tires, but oh, I just hate the tires. Mm. Uh, According to this, South, uh, South Korean tire company Hankook responded to the FIA's last tender for a tire supplier in 2018, but the FIA selected to remain with Pirelli until 2023. That tender was extended by a year due to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, which caused a one-year delay to the introduction of the 18-inch format. FIA's invitation to tender for its exclusive F1 tire suppliers confirms its current intention for tires to be used without blankets to preheat them. Of course, we talked about this uh, not too long ago, and there's a vote coming up on this in the, uh, the uh, British Grand Prix later on. So... There is that. Uh, Pirelli themselves have talked about them themselves being yet to decide uh, if they want to, uh, if they want to continue as well. So I feel like there's feel like there's mixed kind of messages coming out because there's quotes from uh, Pirelli about it, um, acknowledging the uh, the FIA statement. Uh, Pirelli said the FIA is now published the invitation to participate in the next tender process. Uh, the document outlines technical characteristics that are broadly in line with the tyres used today and the relevance of technology transfer from track to road. The framework described by the FIA is closely aligned to Pirelli Motorsport's strategy, so it is of great interest, with the Italian company being global partner for the sport more than a decade. A definitive decision about Pirelli's participation in the selection process will naturally be taken after a detailed examination. So, uh, again, <laughs> not exactly a... Uh, I wouldn't call that a ringing self... Uh, endorsement for for it, but I'm sure they'll yeah. be. They'll, I'm sure they'll put themselves in the mix because I mean, why why wouldn't they? <laughs> mm. It'd be it'd be wouldn't it be weird if they decide nah, we're not doing it, and there's a the tire supply is just vacant up for grabs for whoever wants to go go get it. Wouldn't that be a weird just take one? It. So, uh, in a per- look in a perfect world, what would you like to see happen with the uh, the tire situation here? Um, other than Pirelli being completely axed, of course. Um, more than one tire manufacturer, yeah, would be fun. But then again, at the same time, I don't want a situation where one tire manufacturer is overly prepared and one is underly underprepared, and uh, it's just if you're on the the bad manufacturer's tires, then you're kind of screwed for the season. If you know what I mean, where we had certain races in 2005 where things went very tits up, <laughs> to say the least. If you know what I mean, so probably just one manufacturer would be on it, would be good. Just have some competence, would be nice. Some tyres that don't just sort of can't displace water would be nice. <laughs> I think you're asking for too much there, to be honest. I probably am. Um, just don't begin with P and end in I. That's all I ask. <laughs> uh, the tire war, I thought, yeah, like if you're familiar with F1 in the mid 2000s, the tire, the early to, early to mid 2000s, the tire war was something that was that was a, it was a fascinating, fun dynamic with two entities that were extremely prepared, other than 2005 Indianapolis, but uh, like with the merits for both their their compounds both of their 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 wets and the such and the the bridge versus the michelin it was 
it was a great time for F1 from that point of view. But I would, I like you, I would worry about, you know, if you have two sides of it, you know, I guess the interpretation of the two different tyre suppliers. And if one is vastly better than the other, then eee, there's a few asterisks maybe placed here and there. Now, how much out of balance can I, like, it's not like an engine, like how much out of balance can you get? But, hmm. uh, but at the same time, obviously, tyres are uh, obviously a very, very key component of uh, a car. So, you know, difference yeah, could be making three extra one. stops, for example. Yeah, I don't think F1 would take on two manufacturers. It wouldn't work. I think competition is fantastic because we've seen what per- it's happened with a lack of competition for Pirelli here is that they've allowed themselves, like, basically, they they can make shit and a few comments from drivers, etc. doesn't really do anything um, for them, really, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, again, they're still going to be hanging around. So I do think complacency has set in to a degree. Yes. So, by and I obviously think we've seen with the engines how competition. Eventually, obviously, when they've gone the right track, competition has driven the others to to be better, to be better. And now we've got a place we've basically where the it almost doesn't matter what engine you have to an extent. You know, in terms of like the the top end performance is close to the same now. Yeah, there isn't much. There's just certain ones that are better initial traction. Certain ones have got better top end. It's just bit of liability, etc. Yeah. It's very small, minute things, whereas one thing cancels out another in certain degrees. So it's it's good to have the competition. I just don't think everyone will allow it. I agree. Because there'll be too much moaning. Yeah, more than there already is. Yeah. So mm. as, as nice as, and as uh, fun it would be. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I agree with you full, fully. Right, busy. Obviously, uh, shall we say? Is it fair to say the McLaren season hasn't gone off to the best of starts as as we expected? I'm sure. Again, I'm sure it'll be shock for some people, but this was kind of seen coming, and they the team themselves saw it coming. And off the back of that, they have announced a number of technical changes during the week. Most notably, technical director James Key is being uh, moved on, and former Ferrari engineer David Sanchez is incoming instead this is one of a few technical moves that have been made by mclaren put out a statement during the week about the whole thing uh obviously key leaves after joining the team in 2019 uh the do do, do, do team is so i'm reading from and jonathan noble about some of the specifics here of this the team's to move away from having a single team uh, single technical director and will instead put in the place a team of three key specialists who report directly to andrea stella this jury will include former ferrari head of vehicle concept um is it David, David or David? Uh, David. David Sanchez, who recently resigned from the Italian squad. Uh, for, now, this is an important thing. The fr- uh, Sanchez is on, currently on gardening leave, so cannot join McLaren until January 1st, 2024, but will eventually have the position of technical director of car concept and performance. Sanchez will lock along, work alongside Peter Prod, uh, Prodromo, yeah. yes. uh, who moves into the role of technical director aerodynamics. Neil Holdley uh, Neil Holdy is being promoted to uh, into the newly created role of technical director, engineering and design, as well as the creation of the technical executive team. McLaren has announced changes, other changes within its organization. Giuseppe Pesch has been promoted to a director, aerodynamics and chief of staff to support the running of the air department. Pierre Stine will also be moved into the expanded role of chief operating officer, uh, where he will help Stella in lifting the standards of the team. So a couple of quotes uh, from Stella and I know some some from Zach Brown as well. Uh, 
Stellas said, looking ahead, I'm determined, after he thanked James Key, he said, looking ahead, I'm determined and fully focused on leading McLaren back to the front. Since taking on the team principal role, I've been given the mandate to take a strategic approach to ensure the team is set on a long-term foundation for us to build over the years. This new structure provides clarity and effectiveness within the team's technical department and puts us in a strong position to maximise performance, including optimising new infrastructure upgrades we've coming in 2023. Alongside Peter and Neil, I'm delighted to welcome David Sanchez back to the team to complete an experienced and highly specialised technical executive team with the collective aim of delivering greater on-track performance. I'm excited uh, to do... Yeah, so Sanchez himself talked about his excitement uh, as well. Zach Brown, and I'm reading this one from uh, Race Fans on that, and Keith Collentine. Uh, Zach said, uh, it has been clear for me to some time that our technical department has not moved at a quick enough pace to match our ambition of returning to the front of the grid. I'm pleased that having completed a full review with Andrea, we are now able to implement the restructure required to set in wheels the motion to turn this around. These strategic changes ensure the long-term success of the team and are necessary to see McLaren get back to winning ways. We've everything coming into place now with our people and infrastructure and a long, exciting driver lineup. I'm determined to see McLaren get back to where we should be. So I guess just before we look at their kind of their new, I guess, their new executive team, so to speak, the technical Mm. team, obviously, uh, obviously leaving is James Key. Obviously, Key Key came in with quite a a strong reputation coming in from Toro Rosso. Uh, There have been some good cars under Key at McLaren. But what are your thoughts on... (laughs) Uh, I guess James Key officially being moved on after this uh, this difficult start. Uh, It was sort of written in the stars before the season even began, wasn't it? To be honest, I could I could have told you it was going to happen at some point in the season, regardless of how good the car got. I just I just felt that they realised that they got the car concept completely wrong and went in the wrong direction too late, and then it just set them up for this early season Uh, lack of pace. Even though the car's good in some scenarios from what we've seen, they just had some terrible luck in Saudi Arabia. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think moving him on was the right decision. But going to a three-man team to report Andrea Stella is the wrong move because they've done that in the past. And I think it was when New was still at the team, and they had three or four people in charge of like a structure, and it created a lot of confusion back then people not knowing who to communicate to and what have you. I just think having one person in charge of the entire technical team is a lot better, but I could be wrong. It was one of the things that McLaren had in place when Zach Brown initially took over the team and changed it very quickly to accommodate for James Key coming in. And now they're going back to this system where it's, it was just not very good. So whether it works or not, I don't know. It works at other teams like Ferrari. Well, I say it works. <laughs> it doesn't work, but it works in terms of they get shit done. But whether it's successful in terms of things for McLaren, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one, but I'm, I'm worried for them. I'm very worried because it's just... Yeah, go on. Yes, uh, I. Yeah, sorry. I was... Yeah, I am worried for them as well. I, I think there's three... This this new technical operating system, I think, look, if it works for them, it works for them. I think I think there's a, a reason why you don't see it more in mm. the paddock. I do think these things can get murky. And the most recent example I could think of this is how obviously Alpine operated with their no team principal uh, thing in 2021. 
and uh, quickly that was decided. No, that was uh, was not the way to go. And yes, and even Martin Bukowski didn't want to continue on after that. No, <laughs> so I have concerns. If they've done their due diligence and look and thought, look, this is the best way to go about it, then again, I mean, they can't work out that they can't make it work. But yeah, I mean, look, they've clearly got they've put clear define define labels on these titles for these these guys with um with uh neil peter and david uh with a lot of second names uh so maybe they can make it work i don't i it's just a lot of people to report to and then things get lost in translation people don't know about certain things they're gonna have to have a lot of means to sort of keep up with each other and then it's a big change and then yeah and then on top of that They've got to report Andrea Stella in, in any way. So, like, I, I just don't get why there isn't one person that everybody goes to regardless. And then he reports directly to Andrea. But like, I guess you don't know until you try. Mm. Like, this is not a small operational change. This is a very, no. this is a very big shakeup mm. for McLaren's, McLaren standards yeah. and how and the, you operate as a, almost as a, as a technical team. Yeah, and they're adding more and more people to their technical team as well because obviously when the uh, COVID pandemic sort of came into effect everybody sort of had to cut back and McLaren was one of those teams and they cut back a lot of staff and I think they've realised they cut a little bit too much which is what has sort of left them in the position they are now where they're a bit behind well, they so need now to, they're adding all these people they needed an injection of capital don't forget as well Yes, and they had yes. to sell some of their assets yeah so it's it's just a hot mess, a really hot mess. And obviously, you've got the future of Lando up in the air. You've got mm-hmm. you've got a lot of things to consider. You've got the implementation of the new wind tunnel towards the end of the year. You've got to get that right and up and working so it's all correlating correctly. And you obviously you've got to wait for one of the two new members of the team to come in next year. Never mind this year. Yeah, to that's try the and thing. Turn things forward. You're already pushing a about to 25 almost you, you what you, the, probably what they should have done was kept key around to the end of the year and said to him right you're here but you're being being let go at the end of the year you're free to go and talk to other teams about getting a, a deal somewhere else but we kind of need you to for, sort of fix your fuck-ups basically until david comes in this is the thing i want to ask you do you think they've done this too soon before the yes. fabled baku upgrade is coming yes because i i, think I would have said did. at least midsummer before they decided right james this is clearly not working the upgrades that you've not that you've promised us just aren't working and just on franz toss and say we don't believe in you anymore it's not worked um time to move on but obviously, the the opportunity to sign up David Sanchez was too good to turn down from them. So hmm. yes, it's it's all a bit premature, and I think they're overreacting a little bit because the car isn't as bad as what was first feared. I don't think. Yeah, and they've had horrific luck the first two races as well. Yes, terrible, terrible luck. But some of it, you make your own luck at the end of the day. Bahrain certainly, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Saudi not not their fault. I don't. No, think. I agree. And. The, the uh, there has been a lot of talk that the uh, technical director from last year has completely screwed up this year's cars, and uh, 
screwed up the ability to overtake, which is interesting from it's coming from inside the paddock. But they might have to consider changing that again, which is going to be fun. Brilliant. Yeah, just to ease overtaking because yeah, you know what happens when you change something because one team can't make a car that works. You know, mm -hmm. and then it screws up everybody else. You know, whatever. I would add as well, I would have looked to see where that Baku upgrade put McLaren back because obviously that's obviously coming directly under keys. Like, so even though he's now gone, that back upgrade is still coming and he's obviously it played is. a large part in it. So I would have maybe waited for that and see how that gone. And if you want to do this uh, this trio of um, technical side, maybe you've got you can bring in David Sanchez and then reassign key as well if, you need, if, you need, if need be. Yeah, you could have had Key and Sanchez. You know? like, the thing is, what what's going to happen is, if this upgrade doesn't work, they're just going to blame Key anyway and use him as a scapegoat. Yeah. There isn't going to be, hey, look, we fucked up again here. Yeah. The it's problem key. is, he's, he's, the last, he's, the, he's the last one that was there that they can blame. Andreas Seidel is gone. They've just promoted Andreas Stella, so they can't throw him under the bus. They've just promoted him, even though he's probably... You know, he's culpable no, for some of, some of the failings of this car. Not primarily, but he's certainly, he plays a heavy role in trackside uh, operations and the such and would obviously be a key piece back at the factory, I'm Wrong. sure, as well. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, so, but he, we can't throw him under the bus because, you know, we've just promoted them to team principal, so we can't do that. So who else has left? It's, it is literally key, and it was his head on the, it's, it was going to be his head on the block. I do wonder with Key, obviously Sanchez will be able to join until 2024, but I reckon, I hope they won't, McLaren won't block Key from signing somewhere else. And I'd have to imagine he might suit Williams' purposes quite well. Because mm. um, Key is, it seemed, there was, and this point was made on the racist podcast about this, this topic, that Key did very well with having certain components in from Red Bull. For, with Toro Rosso and then building part of the car and there's a similar relationship could be seen between Williams and Mercedes of course in this regard and Keys make good cars as a result of uh, of this as well there's an argument that Scott Mitchell Mount put forward uh, of the race that the McLaren was more so the good McLarens were so were obviously continuations of rules rather than direct like exactly direct changes that McKee had made himself and then to be, and this is the other thing I would I would throw in myself into this mix is that this isn't key being let go is not is not the sum of the 2022 car. It's really this began last year the 2021 car. Uh, yes. The work was kind of put in then. The, that car wasn't great. It got to a point where it was the fifth fastest car. It had no business being in in the fight with Alpine for fourth. Uh, Ricardo's struggles aside, obviously it built a car that both drivers obviously you're talking about. A, fresh car that key has this input on and it's 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 new it's new regs etc and it wasn't good it both drivers hated it norris dragged it to heights it didn't deserve to ricardo couldn't get on with it you know it just it wasn't a good car and this following disappointment and obviously not hitting their targets on time uh yeah this wasn't the work of a moment for key this wasn't the work of two disappointing races to start this this was 20 you have to put 2022 into this mix as well yeah you do you really do. It's, if I'm Williams, I'm all over this, by the way. Have to be. Have to be. And I, I'd hope that McLaren just... wouldn't block him from, from, from uh, joining. Like, and not, no. not, not make him wait a year. No. Because 
Williams. I, I'm not saying Key's a bad engineer in the slightest here. I just don't think he's gone to the right place and gone to the right environment that suits him. He was in a good operation at AlphaTauri slash Torosso at the time. And Williams, I think, is the team on the all. And it's a place where he can th- sort of grow and there isn't much, I would say, pressure to make as such a bigger jump as there is at McLaren. So, sign him up. Why not? Even if it's a points per race deal or something silly. <laughs> hmm. Uh, the race is a uh, race of the round table on their thoughts on the whole McLaren changes. Ed Straw talked about how this three pronged technicianship is, is a gamble. Uh, I'll read what some of what he said. Uh, McLaren's division of the technical leadership role into three person structure illustrates the challenges facing a modern Grand Prix team. Ideally, you'd want a single individual who has the final say and a full oversight. But is that job too mind bogglingly broad for one person? This is the this this is the answer. If that is, F one teams are uh, F one teams even in the cost cap era are enormous tasks that once would have been dealt with by one person potentially, even just a part one part of the job are now done by larger teams. For technical directors, simply keeping track of all the various technical groups and subgroups is probably a full time job, and it's something Key appeared to be able to do effectively. The question is, what capacity does that leave beyond that? It's an element of push and pull to it. McLaren's been down this path before, like you mentioned, and abandoned it. So it's now switching back to it. What matters is how well it is set up and how clearly the lines of responsibility are uh, demarked. And can this structure imbue the team with a coherent technical vision? Is it change for change's sake or the limitation of a, fl- of a flatter structure that learns from mistakes of the past? Chances are it's hard to make this kind of structure work well. But if you do, it could offer more potential. And if you don't have an Adrian Newey type in the system, something McLaren once had but lost, then you can see why this direction appeals. Either way, it's a big move for McLaren. Clock is their aspirations to re-emerge as a true frontrunner, which really is what he needs to do at the latest uh, in the first year of the 2026 regs. That might seem far off, but what happens now and in the early months of this new structure will be decisive to whether it achieves that. And that is, I think, definitely the the main part. You've Again, you've got to get your shit sorted ahead of time. So... Again, you're you're postponing the timeline again and again. Like it was twenty four, now it's likely going to be twenty five when you're aiming for it. Oh, it's definitely going to be twenty five. Yeah, hundred percent. With David's influence not really coming in until the till literally January first next year, you kind of screwed yourself. There, it's immediately twenty twenty five from the get go, isn't it? Mm. And then obviously it'd be so easy if that doesn't go well. Well, let's let's wait to twenty six and new engine regs and whoever we've got making our engine. They don't have time for that. They need to get the engine manufacturer basically on board in the next year or so mm-hmm. and just switch from Mercedes pretty much instantly. So there's no faffing about if they can get on top of the little finicky bits of the car because there's always going to be big changes when you switch engines. It's never quite the most simple thing because you've got a lot of packaging to change and you've got to just basically design the car around the engine, which is what McLaren failed to do when they partnered up with Honda. It, um, they sort of dictated to Honda where the engine was going to go and it didn't work. Mm. That is why they kept blowing up all the time. So th- th- there's lots and lots of things McLaren have got to make in these next, lots of key decisions, shall we say. Yeah. Lol. Sp- um, sp- speaking of that, like there, ha- there is a quite a bit of support for James Key with, with some of the answers in this race roundtable. Oh, yeah. um, Guy Anderson talked about how Key was has not been 
McLaren's problem. Uh, Anderson said, I, I, I worked with James in his early days and because of that, I followed his career with interest. Uh, he said, uh, Anderson said of Key, he always wanted to be part of a complete team that went about the design of a complete car, not just something from parts supplied by sister team Red Bull. That's one of the reasons he moved from Toro Rosso, as was called in those days to McLaren. Now that has turned around to buy them. Over the past year or so, McLaren's been critical of its wind tunnel and simulation tools. To be honest, they haven't been up to date for many years, and that's when it starts to just spirals. The t- using the Toyota tunnel in Germany is all well and good, but it's not as practical as building your own in-house facilities. So, again, the topic of the facility side of things, you've hired a technical director and not given him the proper the tools, tools yeah. in-date tools for him to do the best job that he can. And uh, he's... He's uh, like you said, scapegoat is being like coming to uh, coming to mind. He can't fire a wind tunnel or lack of, but you know James Key can go. The, the, the fact that they're using Toyota, Toyota's wind tunnel that's in fucking Germany, as a regular thing, and don't have a, a regular operation out in Germany to start off with is is baffling to me. The fact that if they want to test one part, they've got to ship it off to Germany every time. Yeah, is is so silly. Mm. So silly. Obviously, you can see why they wanted to get this wind tunnel done and dusted as soon as possible. But if you don't give someone the tools to develop what they want to do and show their ideas off, then I'm not being funny. You're sort of setting yourself to fail from the get-go, to be honest. And I know things take time. I get that. But mm-hmm. And I was one of the first to sort of chuck James under the bus. But you could sort of see it coming. That he was sort of going to get binned off. Oh yeah, of what happened? Like I said, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, even if it wasn't strictly down to him, I I reckon a lot of it is just Andreas Seidel has got out at the right time. Let's say that. Yeah, it's I'm. I think think he sort of seen something come in and was like, "Yeah, I'm out of here." Yeah, Uh, Anderson had a very interesting nugget here when he said uh, when he talks about some of the other stuff here at Key. He said McLaren needed to see this improvement of improving its facilities out and give James a chance to show what he could really achieve. And this is about uh, that I was talking about just there myself. If he needed more manpower in a technical group, then so be it. It would make the team stronger in the long term. But for him to just go is a loss to McLaren. Again, like why not stick? See how these upgrades come on that you've identified, and then put him in as one of that one of that trio. Yeah, or just make him the yeah. Make him so him and David are the top two is what I would have done personally, mm-hmm. and then have certain people underneath him, and then let them two bounce off each other. Uh, that's that to me is having two people who can bounce off each other and sort of steer two different idea versions of ideas. It, it just works in my head. I, I don't get why they've been so hasty with it. Unless James has decided he wants to go off his own bat. You don't. I don't. I don't know if that's what was really said behind the scenes because obviously we don't really know that but if it was sort of James idea like yeah I've had enough I'm not not being put under the bus for this I'm going to go off my own bat you lot decide what you're doing but I don't I don't think that's the case I think Williams would be a good place for him there are also some other rumours about uh, Anderson finishes his little uh, little uh, little thing here he says however he did spend quite a bit of time in Italy Rumour has it that a certain Italian team that runs a red car is looking to improve and strengthen its technical group. Dot, 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 dot. So we're letting go of the guy that's... Oh, well, well, hold up. It's important that Sanchez resigned. There is there is that. So let yeah, go I might know, not be... I know. But we could have convinced him to stay. You know, there is, there is things about that could change. But 
if James wants to be under the uh, Vigna vendetta that we're going through at the moment, then more, you're more than welcome to come to the stinking ship. Mm. I'm sure Carlos, Charles Leclerc will welcome him with open arms. <laughs> Uh, of course, Franz Tosso just very recently openly uh, uh, critical of his uh, technical department, essentially, an engineer. So, I mean, could we see him go back to even to Alpha Tauri? Familiarity, you or know. whatever Alpha Tauri is going to be called. <laughs> yes, depending R- on those rumors. coming out of uh, Helmut Marcus saying that Alpha Tauri's name is being evaluated to be changed again. Because oh. the Alpha Tauri fashion brand isn't sold in a majority of the countries that F1 goes to. <laughs> so, you know. Where would you, uh, where would, what would you change it to? Like, if you, you can't do Tor Rosso, which literally means Red Bull in Italian, just like, I always thought, I was, I, I was like, I was like, oh my, you have to be joking me when I found that out. It was, it's so obvious, but yeah, I don't, I don't sounds know. good. The, would you go back to us? This is where it'd be an option, wouldn't it? But at the same time, you're like, well. It's basically a junior team, so why not just call it the Rebel Junior Team? Now they've you know, since you know. it became Alpha Tari, they've they've tried to be more intentional with the language they use around that and call it a sister team. Mm. And I actually I really do believe it now because a junior team and like is. you know, I really do believe that it is more so a sister team than it is a junior team. Little little sister, maybe yeah, maybe it, cousin. It, it, it's changed, hasn't it, over the last few years? It was predominantly, I would say, the junior team. It's definitely not what it was when it was first introduced in 2006. It's nowhere near that anymore. Ever ever since Science and Max left, it's changed, I think. I think ever since it's they not... arrived, I think it's changed. Mm. I think it's, from that it's... point, it became a lot more of a legitimate uh, outfit with, with that score genuine points. The, the thing is, it's obviously, it's a lot. all of this is coming from the old rumours that we've spoke about over the last few weeks where they're on about Rebel on about shifting Alpha Tauri or whatever it is to the UK to sort of cut costs and what have you ever since Dietrich passed the all the Rebel new hierarchy bosses are sort of swinging an axe and trying to cut costs left right and centre. So I'm very I'm open to the idea of going back to Toro Rosso because A, I think the Toro Rosso deliveries are the best on the grid. Some of my favourite ones. They'd gotten there, yeah. The, Especially the 2018 and 2019 cars. Mm-hmm. Oof, they are beautiful machines. Shout beautiful out to machines. the early ones of 06 and 08. Mm. Scott Speeds, 2006. Yes, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just call it Helmet Marco Racing. <laughs> Why not? Marco Grand Prix? Imagine. Perez. Perez is, Perez is B team. That's what they'll call them. Uh, they, they don't, like, they, they just, do you know, in-house, like, you know, like, companies have, like, in-house language and jargon. Like, they call them, mm. like, you know, helmets, you know, <laughs> mm. for their own helmets. I could see oh, it. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens when it comes to that. But, yeah, just to wrap up on yeah. McLaren and, and James Keane and such, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm savage, but justified, I think, in a way. It seemed inevitable, but it's. I don't think Key. I don't think it's the right move. Yeah, I think Key probably. Yeah, I think he had wasn't given the. F- I don't want to say he's given a fair go of it. I don't think he had everything he needed to really succeed going to new regulations. Yes, the, the the fair thing which I've already said is basically give him to the end of the season, and if it's not worked, you've already got the new team in place. 
Yeah, I, I think this has come a little too soon. I would have, genuinely speaking, like I'm, I, McLaren are a good example of this as well. You get to round seven or so, which is, the, you know, the, a couple of races after the first upgrade comes on, you see what can be salvaged of your season. 2018 McLaren is a good example of this when they brought the, uh, the Dragon Nose wing to Spain and they were still shit. And it was like, oh no, this is bad. And then by back there, Boulier is gone and, you know, you, you go on from there and that's when James races. Key when James Key comes in and it is it's two races and there are caveats we had for both of those races so you know yeah literally it's, it's, it's very very obviously we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and what's been said and how hostile it is behind the scenes and all this that and the other so we can only judge from what we're seeing on the outside really but to me and you from what we both said it's, it's very hasty and what's yeah, yeah. If you don't give a man the tools, it's going to never work. It's probably the right decision, but I think yes, it's come too soon, and I think a possibly missed opportunity to utilize Key's expertise <laughs> rhymes uh, is if you're going to change that kind of three pronged leadership, then I think he should have given right, a go of us. Tried it with him. Yeah. yeah, you should have at least tried him in that in that system. Yeah. Now whether it was pitched to him and he's like. I nah. I want to be the, the person, then that's a different story. But again, there's just not enough information on what we know at the moment. Yes. And uh, with this kind of thing, I don't know how much we'll get, to be fair, but... Probably none, until mm. Key comes up, like an off McLaren. Yeah, whenever a Key appears Basically. for some public comments, essentially. And even then, they might yeah. not address it then. Yeah, might be contractually bound not to say anything. You don't mm. know, do you? Right, uh, you don't know what NDAs might uh, exist. Uh, not else... the future of McLaren, eh? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Again, I hope they're not stingy and let them get on back onto the grid ASAP. Yeah, it will be 24, but yes, yeah, 100%. We'll see. Uh, other news this week, uh, Porsche will not be joining the F1 grid in 2026. That's according to The Race, who have done extensive video and podcast work on this topic. Uh, obviously, they look like, yeah, it looks like obviously it's... They've been looking for an in, basically, after the Red Bull thing fell apart and have it just hasn't materialized. And it seems like at this moment, they're just going to be focusing on their Le Mans and hypercar, hypercar projects. Apparently, they still retain an interest in F1, but will not have an entry or affiliation with a team in the medium term. Uh, the more I've heard about this and the more I've listened and... I think, ultimately, we're better off without Porsche, who have been lukewarm... And in and out uh, about interest of F1 for a very long time now. And mm. if this was... Manufacturers have been jumping at the bit here to get into F1 for 2026. And if you're not coming in at this point, if not now, then when? Like, uh, what, like what, what circumstances are better than the ones that are coming up? There's not another good chance to do this for another five plus 10 years and you're looking to the 2030s then so i just don't understand i guess I, like they, they have an interest they had an interest of you know if they want to make an 11th entry they could they could do it and dominicali would welcome them with open arms yeah unlike andretti and cadillac so they've just been yeah. they've just been lukewarm and in and out of the door uh, and i just think ultimately we're probably better off without it they just haven't shown the desire really to get stuck in like Audi have, even though it's all part of the same VW group. My, my like two pence worth is that they wanted too much of their own influence on a team, and it's just not going to work out that way, unfortunately. Not when you've not been on the grid for so many years; it's just never going to happen. 
they wanted more than what Red Bull were prepared to give them. And I'm sure all the other teams that they spoke to, i.e. McLaren and Williams, didn't want to lose their identity, and which in terms means them losing their names, which are iconic to the sport, because Porsche wanted to basically be at the forefront of the operation and basically take over everything, rather than just be a, a technical partnership with a view to being more in the future. It's, it's, it's just they've just gone about it the wrong fucking way. They they should have uh, basically tied up with Andretti. <laughs> Would have been the easy option. Like and it's literally that partnership already exists in Formula E. Yeah, exactly. Literally already exists. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird one. Uh, some of the bits on this article, uh, obviously, there are comments from then VW CEO Herbert Dice. Uh, he said, "You can't catch up on that when you're uh, when you join a new team. You need five or ten years to be among the front runners. In other words, you can only get on board if you have a major rule change. That means you can decide now to do F1, or then probably not again for ten for ten years." Uh, some of the other bits that you actually mentioned that are mentioned that you said that are mentioned in this article. Uh, to do. When Red Bull talks about the part last summer, Porsche insisted that it was still assessing options to join the grid, but only chasing a stake in the existing team as it lacks the infrastructure to take a solo engine project. That is why it was not among the manufacturers to formally register their interest in the engine rules of 2026, even though that would not have constituted a binding entry. Any Porsche deal would, after the collapse of the hoped for Red Bull deal would therefore likely have been limited to using the engine Audi plans to enter and build uh, and possibly running it in the Porsche name. It's unclear how many teams were approached formally. McLaren had direct conversations with both Porsche and Audi, but was unwilling to forfeit control or naming rights, which prevented discussions from continuing. Starting a new team from scratch with the FAA opening a process for up to two teams to join from 2025 didn't appeal either due to cost and infrastructure involved. Mm. So, again, I think they wanted the I think they wanted the easy route, like Ford did in some ways, to just get in on an existing partnership. Uh, Ford yeah. were fine not having the fifty percent stake. Porsche for whatever reason. Which, by the way, like how much money do you think is involved in the fifty percent stake of Red Bull? That's that's a lot, a lot of money. So are you talking at least three hundred mil? It's not more. I would think more. Five hundred mil. Yeah, you're talking three hundred mil just as uh, half. Like yeah, what? Audi you went for what? Sauber went for what? Six hundred or so. Mm. Now I think now that was worth a billion. Yeah, that's and I was I think that's that might be six hundred seventy five percent because Finn Rousing wants to maintain a twenty five percent minority. Yeah. So, obviously Williams went for a, bit, a, a lot less, <laughs> but that was kind of yeah, they, they, circumstantial they, to an extent. Yeah, Dalton got a very sweet ass deal there. They instantly made a profit as soon as they bought that team. Instantly, they, they could almost double or triple their uh, their. They could triple it. Without, without a question, there was too many teams and people wanting to get in. Way too many teams. They wanted to sell or they could quite easily triple their investment. Definitely. But they won't. No, I not yet. think not. Yeah, so look, I we got we got Audi and Audi of showing their intentions and they're making an engine and they're taking gradually taking over more and more of Sauber and I think they've gone about it the right way. Porsche just, I think, haven't. And I, I recommend listening to the podcast that the race did on this topic. It goes through a lot of this stuff in detail and yeah i i i having listened to that i agree with their sentiments like i think we're just better off without it yeah like i said they just think they're too into themselves so it's just never gonna work is it yeah it's just like i feel like their interests are never truly aligned and 
I don't. I, it's not, I don't think it's even a shame. I just think it's. I think it's regrettable. Yeah, it's regrettable from Porsche's side. I don't think F one's losing from not having Porsche in the game. Uh, no. You know, I I think Porsche have lost out are the losers here more so than anything else. Yeah. So yeah, so that's uh, that's that's uh, that's it for Porsche at least for now. We'll see what happens in the Good. future. But yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, other news: There's an article from Jonathan Noble and Motorsport.com talking about F1's rate to revise cost cap rules. Uh, F1 chiefs are lined up for discussions with teams about potential changes to the cost cap rules to help smaller squads catch up. Uh, this is an exclusive from Motorsport.com. So, you know this? No, I'm not a fan of this. You're not a fan of this. Well, let's go through it. And we can discuss it. Uh, so. Reading from Jonathan Noble, while it, the cost cap has helped in not allowing bigger teams to spend their way to a huge advantage, equally there are aspects of it that prevented smaller outfits from making the gains they want. One of the issues that has gained traction in recent months is the fact that teams are strictly limited on capital expenditure, so there is not much freedom to improve infrastructure back at base. While teams can build new factories and a specific, exe- and a specific exemption has been allowed in the cost cap rules for new wind tunnels and any other investment needed to improve equipment has to be included in the generic cost cap limit that teams battle to stay under this means that teams which have the be- had a- have had the best infrastructure in place at the start of the cost cap have locked in an advantage and those whose investment has fallen back behind the prospect of needing to divert money away from the car performance if they want to improve their facilities it has emerged however that preliminary discussions have taken place about teams giving greater freedom in terms of capital expenditure expenditure so they do not so they do have the ability to improve facilities at their factories you can probably see where this is going. Motorsport.com understands that the, the matter was discussed at the most recent Formula 1 Commission meeting with Williams team boss James Valls particularly keen for it to be changes in, to the rules in this area. With a number of rivals supporting the basic idea, plus FI and FOM open to the prospect of it, it understood that a more detailed analysis of potential changes to the capital expenditure allowances is being prepared for further discussion in the next few weeks. And there's a quote from James Vowles on the subject. He said, personally, I think... If we want a meritocracy, we need the ability for my team to be given the chance to catch up with some of the big teams and have the same resources. Um, Val said that one of the surprises he found when joining Williams was that it lacked a number of systems that are found at bigger squads and which can't be upgraded without eating into the yearly cost cap allowances. And Val said there are some that I would consider basics which are in place at other teams and have been for almost, since almost 15 years. For example, there are software systems that allow you to properly understand where all your parts are, and they simply don't exist at Williams. As a result of that, what impresses me is that before I joined, they built the car you see in front of you. 15,000 pieces coming together, fitting, working, seemingly going around the track fairly quickly. That's an incredible accomplishment. But clearly, it's not how we can move forward. So we need systems in place and structures in place. So, uh, actually, sorry, there's more uh, There's more, There's more. more talk on this. Uh, Omar Safnar had a... Uh, uh, a thing to say on this as well and he said what a cost cap what a cap x cost cap does is it solidifies some inherent inequities if you were a small team and didn't have a great wind tunnel for example and you couldn't build one you're screwed forever that is why there's dispens- uh, there's dispensation for new tunnels and i think there are other infrastructures and tools underneath the tunnel that should be treated the same things like brake dynos and full car dynos that the big teams have and the small team doesn't if you don't allow that expenditure then that equity inequity is there forever that means you're screwed. Race. This means you're screwed forever. And I think that's wrong. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts on that? I mean, it sounds like obviously a very clear problem has been identified, uh, but it looks like everyone seems to be on the same page as to rectify that. 
Yeah, I just, I just think changing the cost cap is the wrong way to do it. They should just be allowed to do it regardless. They don't need to change the cost cap to do this. Just allow them to build new facilities if they want to. That's the basic basic thing there. If if their factories are up to the same height as say, say we're talking about Williams here, uh, as an example, and they want to build a new factory because theirs doesn't quite meet what Mercedes is, then do it. Just don't shouldn't be factored into the cost cap. To be honest, if they want to invest in their infrastructure, then that's fine. I don't see what the big fuss is about where right, things need I, to be changed. I should mention that cap. it's not the cost cap, it's the cost cap rules. So things, that's what I mean. yeah, so not, the cap itself is not being adjusted. It's what, what goes into the, I would imagine what goes into the exemption, like your wind tunnel, etc. Yeah, there are well, certain parts that need to be moved from one bracket or one column, basically, into another. Yeah, but just let them, I'm just, yeah, my opinion, just move it to a, a bracket that doesn't really, yeah, it's, it's it's silly that it's sort of put in there because, like you say, they're always going to be at a disadvantage no matter what they do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of, so I think that's a yeah, I think that's a, a very positive, uh, a very positive change that would definitely help Williams. I'm glad that that vowels coming from Mercedes to Williams. I'm glad that that's something he's highlighted. That's a good thing. Well, you're going to notice, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you are. You're going to notice. You're going to be walking from Mercedes' insane factory to. Williams is, I would say, very outdated factory at Grove. Is it is Grove, right? Williams? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be quite on the same uh, level, is it? Mm. It's just a shed for all we know. <laughs> yeah. So all of a sudden, the car not being complete for testing in 2019 uh, makes a lot more sense now. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, Paddy Lowe never stood a chance. <laughs> Uh, I also, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, he made her off for his own back of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was also some interesting quotes I thought I saw from Valves about Logan Sargent. Uh, mm, you sent me this. I did send you this actually. Uh, I'm reading it from a different source though this time. I'm reading it from uh, the race because I couldn't find it on racefans.net, but um, it kind of talked. Valves talked about kind of his history with Sargent and some of his episodes he'd been proven wrong. So. I want to, so I read this uh, from the race in Scott Mitchell, ma'am. So this is quotes from uh, Vowels. Uh, Sar- so basically talking about Sargent. He came to Mercedes as a sim evaluation driver, and I was interested in looking at him because he had performance, especially when you go back to his F3 performance in, with an average, in an average team. Uh, obviously, he was referring to Sharus in 2021. He was there with Oscar uh, in 2020, and I rate Oscar very highly. At the time, Mercedes, uh, in Mercedes, we had a good suite of drivers. So that was where my relationship with him ended. Then prior to me arriving at Williams, Williams funded his Formula 2 career. So he's now salaried as a professional driver and Williams funded him because they had deep belief that he was the real deal. I, I like how, just to stop, just to hold there for a second. I like how he, he's like he's wanting to claim me away from any notion that Sergeant was, for whatever reason, a pay driver. Hmm. Saying that he's now salaried so I just yeah. thought that was interesting. Uh, Valves mentioned that he was, quote, a little bit reticent, end quote, about how quickly Sargent would get to speed. He said, my reticence came from the fact that it's difficult to really judge him. But I have to say, he's now been in the car. I now have the ability to look at his data, and he is here on merit. And as a result, Williams is investing correctly in him. He's now a professional driver, deserving on the grid at the same time. So it just shows that in my previous life, I was wrong, and Williams were right. Uh which was, yeah, just, I don't know. I just uh, just think he's, uh, yeah, just... Like, he, people underrate him. 
yeah too much i'm not saying he's insane but he's better than average i would say just because he's american people sort of write him off that he's just there because of high money and just american owners yeah but at the end of the day to be fair to logan he looked down and out and has come back and proved himself for me maybe a year too early maybe but at the end of the day it's bad on the tv so hmm can't really lose much can you you're going from last to last essentially so yeah and i would say it's been better off than better than on the tv so far <laughs> just a bit yeah i just thought those were interesting uh those interesting yeah, cards yeah. from just backing his driver from vows yeah but like like backing his driver, his driver yeah backing yeah back yeah that's the thing like that's the thing that's why his opinion is a bit more interesting on sergeant because obviously he didn't hire sergeant yeah i think he's imp- more impressive than him with him than he's probably first thought so I, yeah absolutely and that's and that, that's extremely noteworthy yeah especially when they're probably going to have offers coming out of their ears for drivers that want to sort of join williams i.e from f2 or drivers that currently are out of out of formula one that want to get back in like mm-hmm. pressure from mercedes to get mick or stoffel in there or well it's not even mercedes anymore it's aston martin for van Dorn, isn't it mm-hmm. yes, the, the, there is plenty of plenty of talks to be had so i'm kind of glad he's sort of coming bad logan straight away yeah even before Logan's really had a chance to show what he can do. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the W Series announced have finally got their grid sorted. Sorry, not W Series, sorry. They've got uh, F1 Academy, because W Series driver uh, Marta Garcia completes the grid. So I'm going to list the grid, and some of these I know, obviously, we both know. Some yeah. of them we don't. Uh, so for ART, obviously the five teams, ART, Campos, MP, Prema, and Roden Carlin, so for ART, it's Lena Bueller, who I believe is part of the Sauber program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chloe Grant and Carrie Schreiner. Again, those two I haven't quite heard of. Uh, Campos have got um, Mighty Caceres, Lola Lovenfosse, and Nerea Marty. Obviously, Marty is the most, I would say, the most noteworthy of those uh, yeah. competing in for, uh, W Series. Not familiar with the other two. Uh, Premer have gone for, I believe, they're the siblings of Al, uh, Amna Al Kabasi and Hamda Al Kabasi. They both split time in Formula Regional last year in yes. the Premers. So great! I think it's great that they've got both of them on board, and they've got Emily De Huys, uh as well. So yeah, but I'm glad they got the uh, the, the two. That I think I, I believe they're sisters. I believe yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just want to make sure. Um, Prem have got Bianca Bustamante, Chloe Chong, and Marta Garcia again. Marta Garcia, I know from W Series. I've, I've heard of Bianca Bustamante. Bianca Bustamante. That's the one. She was in uh, W Series. She's W Series as well. Okay, I didn't notice her as much near the front. No, she was like, in the back. yeah. Uh, Chloe Chan, not heard of. And then Roland Carlin got Jessica Edgar, Megan Jilks, and Abby Pulling, of course. Now. No relation to Johnny Edgar? Uh, I'm actually not sure. Uh, I don't think she is, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abby Pulling, of course. So, like, if you had to back in there, like, I've straight away, I would say the two drivers. There's one. Who would compete hardest here are Nerea Marty and obviously Abby Pulling. Just Abby Pulling, for me. So. You. Yeah, for her, well, I I'm think it's important. I think it's important for her stock for F three and F two that she does convincingly. It's going to have to be dom- Like I think you're going to have to to make a case. You're going to have to dominate here. 
Yes, in the championship, there is an opportunity that the said team you're already with in Formula Three or Formula Two, basically. And pulling, we should have a significant advantage against the likes of um, both Al Kabasis, for example. Like the gulf between W Series and, say, Formula Regional. Mm. is fair I would say fairly wide in some regards the cars aren't a million miles apart but the standard yeah changes very much so yes so uh, first round takes place at the Red Bull Ring April 28th and 29th I'll certainly be watching I have to imagine it will be on F1 TV as part of F1's uh, since it's part of Formula 1's Pyramid yeah since it's part of the Pyramid like W Series is obviously on Sky as well so yeah, I don't see why not. Why yeah, won't be. So I imagine it will. As part of this, as a, a support series for F1, I have to imagine it will be. It'll be there. If not, at least I would say there'll be highlights on YouTube on F1's channel. Normally will. Normally will be. So, mm-hmm. so we shall see. Uh, last on the list before we chat some other stuff. Uh, this came out over the weekend. I was fascinated by the implication of it. Uh, it's from RaceFans.net and Will Wood, and how Red Bull team principal Christian Horner claimed that a rival team targeted their sponsors after they were penalised for breaching F1's budget cap. Uh, Red Bull said that it tainted us. These things get used by your rivals. We had one of them contacting our sponsors and partners, making suggestions that we would be bringing their brands into dis, uh, disrepute. That was just underhand. And the That's nature of it, yeah. So the nature of that, you think of Red Bull and the rival... Like the, the, as I said to you, and I sent you this, the only teams that came to mind for that could do this within their ethics would be Alpine, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine Red Bull considers no. a rival. McLaren to an extent, even then, that's a push. And even then, yeah, it's po- like it's possible ethically, but again, rival, same situation. So you really have to ask Mercedes or Ferrari. Now we get to Mercedes in a sec. Ferrari, it no. doesn't seem like something they would do. They have their sponsors. That's not Bonato. Yeah, it's not like they're kind of loyal to their spot. Like they haven't, they've gone through some new sponsors, but not a lot. Like for example, they've got they've had a lot of long term uh, sponsors, like Shell, for example. Yeah. Uh, so the, the one that has changed sponsors the most easily, and the team that would certainly use this tactic, has to be Mercedes. Yeah, and it just. Speak to Toto. It's just called Toto written all over it to me. And the reason why I prod a stick at them. Yeah. And the reason why, obviously, Red Horner can't say uh, Mercedes is that I'm sure it'll be libelous, and you could probably end up in another legal, uh, in uh, some sort of legal dispute somewhere. So, but yeah, like, what do you think of what do you make of that as a uh, a thing? If it was Mercedes, if it was indeed Mercedes. not surprising, I'm sure. Oh, no. Not surprised at all. What sponsor do you think they would have tried to nab from them? Oracle. You think Oracle is a title? Yeah. Just, yeah. To me, that's just the obvious one to go for. I don't know if I had a title, because I know Ineos obviously own a little bit of the team. Yes. Uh, with uh, obviously And obviously Sir Jim Ratcliffe is making some of the rounds with um, Manchester United and the such. Uh, I'm trying to think what other sponsors they would take. Oracle could be one of them, but obviously, why would you? I don't think you could give Oracle a title sponsor of Mercedes, so that, I'm not sure they would go from that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think what else makes sense. Like Oracle, yeah, it have to be. 
And it's the only one to me that makes sense, just because of how big it is. Unless they wanted... See, the crypto stuff hadn't really fallen apart then, so uh, FTX was still on Mercedes. So it's not like they're trying to still steal Red Bull's crypto sponsor. Uh, no. So it can't be that. Yeah, it's such a weird one. Yeah. Very, very weird. Uh, let's quickly go through uh, Formula E that was over the only bit of, I would say, notable sports action, really, from the weekend. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm mean, sorry. Like, I'm not interested in international football. I don't want, I don't watch MotoGP, so. Yeah, I don't give two shits about international football. But... No. Which is why. Unless your name's Keith Kerr, which gives us random <laughs> sports sports results. If you uh, wanted to know the Greece Kazakhstan result at the time, yeah. he was telling you. These <laughs> uh, are around for us. Uh, you got to watch this actually. So, what did you make of it? It was a pretty close race in the end. Yeah, if you were if you had the ba- Jaguar powertrains, then you were in in the lucky pool, I guess. It was a uh, let's be real. The track was really really stupid in places. Would you say that it's a B Tech Paul Ricard? Yeah, and the fact that the chicane's basically you if you went too wide, you basically had to stop on the apex to not crash into the guy in front of you. What you do, you were going side by side with it. It was very, very strange. Um, so I don't know why how that was even homologated, but <laughs> whatever. Um, the race itself was actually pretty interesting, very sort of back and forth with the, the battle for the lead. It wasn't really quite clear until like lap 20 issue was sort of in the mm. fight for it and there were so cam of... shenanigans as well at the front yeah you didn't really want to be in first because you were using too much energy and yeah some one of the big players got taken out straight away and yeah it, it was it was just a very mixed bag but it was quite fun to watch because everyone was just sort of going for it at the end it was Quite fun. That's what I like yeah. about those races as well. Like, like generally speaking, you get this kind of mix at the end where people got a bit more energy to use, etc. I was for sure thought that uh, uh, who was Mitch Evans would have actually was going to run out of energy or, or across the line. We basically did. Yeah. So that was that was an entertaining. It was an entertaining end. Uh, ultimately, Pascal Verlaine extends his championship because Jake Dennis had an accident. Uh, Do you know who it was? Was with? I I know he hit Verline trying to avoid someone, but I can't remember who he was trying to avoid. Well, it was also sort of started by Mr. Daniel Tictum, sort of brilliant, being a, being a, an absolute maniac and just sort of sending it and using Jake Dennis as a break. <laughs> there was a clip on Twitter I saw, and he called him Jake Dennis called him a lunatic after the race. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, I would say it's a good weekend for. The guys trying to get back to the title fights, like obviously you've got Cassidy jumping to third place at sixty-one. Vern, now all of a sudden now the last few races it's been a win for Vern, a P two and a P five. So all of a sudden the points are coming in for Penske. Van Dorn took pole, so things begin to turn a little bit there. Uh, you can see I kind of seen the cost of wrestling a little bit of momentum away from a Verline recently as well. So as you were in that group, like Dennis is still second after scoring no races, no points the last three races. Yeah, which is bizarre. Which is, speaks obviously to the start that he had as well. So you've got Dennis 62, Cassidy 60, Vern, uh, sorry, Cassidy 61, Vern 60, DaCosta 58. Yeah. So uh, even Mitch Evans' win only puts him on 39. <laughs> yeah. uh, Van, Van Dornfors is in 11th on 22. Who did? So a 24 lead for Pascal Verlein. So he's looking good. You take him a lot of places, to be fair. Uh, did not qualify well when his teammate. Was it in the final? Did he get to the final? I think he lost the final. I did not see qualifying. Mm. Uh, I will say one thing I do like about Formula E is that they they 
broadcast the comms from the race control mm, and probably. literally like you hear i can't remember i can't remember his name uh the race director he's australian i believe i can't remember like his name just escapes me but you actually hear full transparency of communications which i think right. f1 could certainly learn from for example if there was a car pulled up on the left he was basically telling the teams to all teams there was a car on the left please obey the yellow flags and all this kind of thing is quite nice to see actually yeah like this again this communication is probably going on anyway but like i like that we see it and we can see and hear some of the reasoning and rationales for situations and decisions yeah so i think everyone could definitely stand to learn transparency from that point of view i think they are afraid of how it could be obviously they try to do like I, like obviously they try to do this somewhat for the uh fia teams comms in 2021 and that just became extremely toxic given the time championship fight that became of us yeah so it's immediately removed the season following season which is a shame because it was one of my favorite things it was great <laughs> but I, I, probably just the wrong year and for us and obviously bought us the iconic um, which is now on a mug in the F1 expedition. In the official F1 expedition that opened up in, in Madrid. In Madrid. No Mikey, no. <laughs> Brilliant. If I ever, I'm going ever to go. Madrid just to, yeah. I don't even like mugs, but I'm going to Madrid and buying that. I don't care how much it costs. Don't like, don't like a good to mug. Toto will sign it. <laughs> oh, dear. I have a glass mug, Graham. I don't do this clay shit. <laughs> Uh, so you, you English so 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 particular English, so. <laughs> you English are so particular very racist oh dear <laughs> racist <laughs> uh, right segues ahoy that I just thought I just wanted to say that uh, this is this is where this is where some bits recorded from the previous week are being slotted in uh, so we're going to talk <laughs> it was fresh on the mind. Yeah, so at the you, time because we would have forgot what happened. So you're hearing mostly me talk about a little bit about the Gilles Villeneuve Didier Peroni documentary. Ninety nine percent Graham. Yeah, because you haven't watched it and don't have the means to watch it. I still recommend it if you ever get a chance somehow. But... Oh yeah, no. If I, if it's there, I will watch it. But it just physically is impossible. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk some. We'll talk Formula Two from Bahrain. So. This is being inserted here, uh, although I've From made... From Bahrain? You did it again. Oh, I told it again, haven't I? Yeah. Oh, no. F2 from Saudi. I made sure to be extra... I made sure to cover myself for uh, all situations, and I've done the same thing I did last week as well. Brilliant. Well, anyways, here's uh, here's F2, and... Uh, so, yeah, here's F2 from uh, from from Saudi Arabia. Uh, you haven't watched this. I don't know if you... Are you going to get a chance to watch it? It's the... Villeneuve Peroni documentary that aired on Sky over the weekend. Sky documentaries. I've got no chance of watching that, so. So, okay, so I'm going to uh, <laughs> talk about this for a few minutes. If you, if you do have Sky on demand or have a chance of, I'm sure it'll be rerun throughout the week on Sky F1 if you want to record it on you, if you've got Sky. Uh, to, uh, it's, it follows, obviously, Gilles Villeneuve and Didier Peroni. Obviously, one of the F1's most tragic stories, I would say, in terms of how devastatingly final it is and the aftermath of it i will so obviously if you don't if you don't if you know we've mentioned it one or twice once or twice here in the podcast in the past but if you don't know the story essentially 
and it goes into detail in the documentary. The documentary goes into detail of the rise of Villeneuve and Peroni, their different backgrounds and the such, and how they ended up at Ferrari and how Enzo looked at viewed both of them. Uh, by the way, any any Enzo Ferrari story we get, I just I just d- devour because that man is something else. Enzo yeah. Ferrari, just oh, um, as in like just the way he operated, the way he saw things, the way, the way he the did his yeah, exactly. Um, just absolutely, just he was the man, like. And he was literally the man, but he was also the man. Like he was just absolute boss. Presence, yes, incredible. Um, he you is just all the uh, testosterone. <laughs> but just the just everything. Like that man oozes everything. You know, just ah. Oh. Anyway, like, like a lion walking into a room. You just know. <laughs> Uh, so it goes into all that, but obviously, it obviously goes into the events of Imola ninety eighty two, which. Mm-hmm. It goes into detail about this as well. So, okay, if you don't want sports for this kind of thing, again, if I mean, just you know, there's timestamps abound. So, but basically, there is FIA and F1 were at odds. Essentially, a lot of some of the English teams didn't race that weekend. The Renaults of Prost and Arnoux and the Ferraris of Peroni and Villeneuve essentially decided that they were going to put on a bit of a show and then settle down. Basically, whoever was leading was leading. And it got into detail about how Ferrari basically had the same kind of principal thing and it threw back to 79 when Schechter and Villeneuve were going for the title. And basically mm-hmm. Villeneuve sat behind Schechter to respect the Ferrari way of basically, if you're leading in the last stint, essentially, that you're winning the race, even though it cost, it would technically cost Villeneuve the title because Schechter won at Monza and won the championship. Uh, so it kind of threw back to that. And basically, the whole thing was Peroni felt, or Villeneuve felt that Peroni had disregarded everything um, of their friendship, of the Ferrari way, etc. When he overtook him at the last possible overtaking spot into the uh, Zatosa, is that the hairpin? The hairpin's name is Zatosa, on the last lap to win the race, essentially. Um, What was interesting before that, though, was Peroni had just had a wedding. And Villeneuve would have considered himself close friends with Peroni and wasn't invited. So it was like a double betrayal in that same weekend. And of course, uh, Villeneuve vowed that he would never speak to Peroni ever again. And in the media leading up to the two weeks after that, when the next race took place at uh, Zolder, um, Peroni was like, "This, all this will blow over. Like, it'll, it'll be fine, it'll blow over. Um, horrid, horrid choice of words, given that he uh, Villeneuve was killed at that at that venue two weeks later. Uh, yeah, just one of F1's all-time just tragic stories. Like that's that's isn't that? I just think that's horrific. Like n- you never get a chance to make it right. Um, no. Sadly, of course, uh, well, Peroni was almost killed himself in a similar style. The way the car fell apart at the front, you can look up footage. You, there footage exists of that crash with uh, Villeneuve, his death. Uh, wherever it's. It's a tough watch, mostly because you can see him literally be thrown from the front and the camera pans to his body in the catch fencing. It's, Ooh. it's, if you've not seen it, it's, it does no. exist if you, if, if it's something you want to, it, it, the documentary shows it as well, of course, but, um, so it's there if, if you, if you really want to see it, but it's, it's, what it's tough. Uh, Peroni's almost killed, of course, uh, uh, in Hockenheim later that year, which basically, 
Enzo Ferrari gave him a little trophy saying the true champion of 1982. Famously won by Keke Rosberg, who won one race that season. If you remember 82. Uh, and then Peroni, of course, was killed in 87 when he was he his that injury in Hockenheim basically meant he couldn't race ever again. But he took to racing speedboats, tried to go behind the wash of another boat during a race of like an actual like an actual ferry, like I think it was like a, a like a storage not the right word freight uh, or freight yeah. kind of a uh, boat uh, basically upended the boat and yeah he passed away and drowned that was a week after he found out him and his wife were expecting twins oh Jesus yeah the twins are aptly named not aptly but they're named fittingly named uh, Gilles and Didier uh, mm. Funnily enough, very in a, in a, in a bizarre twist, uh, Gilles is actually part of Mercedes uh, of the operation, and oh. took the and accepted the winning constructors' trophy at the 2020 British Grand Prix. Interesting. So I thought, wow, small flipping world, um, but very cool at the same time. But uh, very fitting that they are they are named after Gilles and Didier. Uh, the thing also, the thing that stood out to me, um, two things I've I, as well that stood out to me with this. Um, Peroni's mother in the documentary basically talked about being a racing driver in that time, and like, like we talked about the Jackie Stewart documentary and, and racing in F one in the seventies slash early eighties. Peroni's mother talked about like basically seeing your son off to war, mm. basically accepting that they're probably not coming back. Yeah, which is. And there's really t- there's tough footage to watch of um, the villain of family after the death of Gilles. It's it's tough as well. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me, just from a just a human per- personal point of view, at the Zolder Grand Prix, the the actual uh, the the bunch of people they interviewed range from like. Jackie Stewart, Alan Prost, and members of the Ferrari team at the time uh, during the eighties. So they got a good cast of people to interview for this for this documentary, which is which was which was uh, which was uh, whew, words well done. Um, and there was some interesting political stuff as well that into the whole Ferrari thing and how basically Peroni had, at the wedding Peroni had named the sporting director Ferrari as best man. Hmm. Uh, so there is some interesting debate about that. But at Zolder, after everything, one of the mechanics or one of the people of the team talked about how Villeneuve had asked for Peroni's lap time, essentially, which he'd never done before. And basically, in a sense, that Villeneuve had changed, that Villeneuve wasn't... He'd lost his innocence. That, mm. And you could even see in photos, like, there's a, there was a look in his eyes that... For him, everything had changed, and it just makes it so much. It just hits so much harder, knowing that he all like basically at that in at that portrayal that he saw from Peroni that he almost like he lost his way and that there was something in his eyes and something that made him want to push that a little bit more and it yeah just the it just it's tragic to me that. He just seemed to lose his way right before his end, his untimely end. It's just, it's just, it's a reminder of the absolute brutality that that this sport can rip you apart and rip 
your relationships apart. Um, I do think the documentary did a good job, again, like the Stuart documentary, about the family side of things, both partners and the such. Um, yeah. You know, so... And and uh, I think his Villeneuve's partner Joanne talked about you know this probably being the the you know there was a right I guess the time to do it so to speak and it's like forty years later. I thought they all all parties involved they were obviously both of Peroni's uh, partners and obviously Villeneuve's partner. I, think, I thought they spoke very well of a a situation that I mean I find it tough to envision on the outside looking in, let alone to be that connected to the situation as they would have been. Um, yeah. You know, even after all this time. So I think the documentary did well to not go too far into one side of the other, like to frame Peroni as the villain or to frame Villeneuve as the hero or any of that. I think it, it did. A, obviously, you, you could obviously tell who felt what naturally, given mm. It was nice to see, like, not that I would have thought she would have, but nice to see Joanne made like it wasn't like it wasn't Peroni's fault what happened to Gilles. Um, yeah, of course. You know, like, it would be easy, it'd be understandable for her to feel that way. Yeah, but yeah, I thought it was a really good. I thought it was a good documentary. I, well worth watching if you get a chance to watch it. Uh, it just yeah, one of F one's all time stories, um, tragic stories. The only thing I would say is like Jacques Villeneuve is a little harsh of his now. Apparently, by all accounts, Gilles was very harsh on Jack. Um, compare and like his the, his daughter could do Gilles' daughter could do no wrong, but but Jacques was given a very hard go of things. Um, and I do understand when Jacques says his F one journey was his own. He wasn't chasing the 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 hopes of his father, like which I guess people yeah. want to frame it that way. And I understand Jacques wanted to be harsh on. I guess, disre- and he was in his career as well, uh, during his career, but disregarding that, like he, he's doing it because he wanted to, and he was good enough to at the same time. Yeah, of course. His F1 championship wasn't really for his father, which which I know sounds harsh, but I guess at the same time, like he's his own person at the end of the day, with his own goals, his own aspirations. It's, it's like, It would have been a nice story, I guess, but yeah. Mm. Like, Villeneuve was always a pretty openly spoken character during his F1 career. Just a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Villeneuve, to be honest. Yeah, he's one of those champions that will be very easily forgotten. I think, uh, like, like he's probably the most forgettable champion in the last thirty years. Yeah, because everyone remembers Damon Hill for sure. So, like, obviously, he did. Like, you think of the one-time champions. It's like Raikkonen's folk legend. Essentially, he's not being forgotten. Jensen Button, similar story essentially for the Braun GP story, but also like he had a good career. Rosberg, you could argue probably Rosberg is close enough to that Villeneuve category, I would say. Yeah. Um, not as outspoken as as uh, Villeneuve, but like who else? Like who? Like, in terms of one-time champion, like who else is being forgotten essentially? Um, from the nineties onwards, like it's not Prost, it's not Senna. Um, they're all multiple times. Hamilton, no. Schumacher, no. Alonso, no. Hakkinen, no. No, they're all too recent. Or... Do you know what I mean? Like, in, you look at the nineties, Hill. I mean, yeah, I mean, Hill's more memorable than Villeneuve. Which we dislike uh, Damon Hill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ninety-eight was Hackenden. So you know what I mean? Like, it's he, he's very he's only one of those that just gets lost to the one-time history. Like, do you, like, do you, like, how many one-time champions can you not think of? 
a lot. I mean, like, he's going to be one of those. Like, I remember Schechter, only because... I remember Schechter more so because it took so long for the next Ferrari world champion. Or, sorry, was it Lauda? No. No, it was Lauda. It was Lauda. There was some weird... There's some weird stuff between Schechter and Schumacher, though. I have no idea. I don't know. There's something that comes off my head. Anyway. Um, tangents of tangents. Tangents of tangents. Documentary's worth it. Go watch it. And I then watched... Uh, I watched a bit of Jackie Stewart afterwards just because I wanted... Yeah. I was in my fields and I was like, oh, I'll watch that part again. So. Let's talk F2, though, from Bahrain. Ah, it's a bit of time for the dust to settle here. But F2 and Bahrain. Ah, weird weekend with this. Bahrain? You're right. Saudi. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Yes. Oh, dear. Oh, you've not been watching Formula 2. No, I haven't. It's been, it's been a week, man. You know, it's uh, it's been a while. But, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, you won't understand any of that. But uh, what were your main takeaways from F2 on the uh, on uh, Saudi? I almost said Bahrain again. Main takeaways from F2 or Saudi? Um... The main one for me, there is still mistakes in Terry Pochier's driving. <laughs> oh. And his teammate is the one that he needs to worry about in this championship if he's going to go for it. Because he, he, the, I think it's, we've made it pretty clear that year three is make or break for Tao. He's either decides he's going to Formula One or he's going to World Endurance Racing pretty much. <laughs> right, because we still don't quite know how Audi feel about Pochier. Yeah, obviously this is... If Alfa Romeo was still like its own entity and the Audi deal had not been sort of agreed, then I would pretty, pretty yeah, confident. Yeah, and Fred Vassour is still there. Yeah, that he would um, end up in the Alfa Romeo at some point. But it's all up in the air. It looks like he's got more promises than what we realise, and we've, we've spoke about that recently, but he was on course for a good result and eh, sort of cooked it all the way by making a silly mistake. Yeah, which not only ruined his sprint race, but obviously heavily compromised his feature race, giving a five-place grid job for that as well. Yeah, and was never quite there in the feature race, to be honest. No. Even though I missed the first eight fucking laps. Thanks, Sky. Yeah, <laughs> I missed the first six laps. I had to go back. <laughs> Absolute dicks. Why I half back and then I turn it on and I'm eight laps in? Yeah. Didn't miss much, though, by the sounds of it, but... <laughs> the I would say yeah look I mean it's it's one extreme versus the other he was completely dominant in Bahrain and here he was he was surely at the pace and in qualifying certainly yeah. and obviously little mistakes again that was quite a big mistake to be fair like he not only completely sailed by Martins but obviously plowed into Behrman which was tough as well if it had took out Martins then oof, oof. That's, the thing, that's, how, that's how much he was that's how much he screwed up he was nowhere near Martins and flew through and Martins talking about like, he was late to the corner as well and uh, he was late on the brakes so you can't even imagine what uh, poor chair was yeah. yeah and obviously if it had took out Martins then that would have been quite bad for Martins who ended up winning the uh, sprint race uh, he ended up finishing P2 he couldn't bear Biowasa in the end Oh yes, no, in my mistake, no. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, he was that much in the mix this weekend. He was a lot, involved. yeah. He was involved a lot. Um, that was rough from poor chair. Like his feature race was not great either. It, like he, he, I think he still started in the top ten, I believe, and yeah, that went. Uh, that did not go well for him either. So, I had the points in the feature race as well. He finished. Oh, he he finished behind. Uh, he's behind yeah. Nasani and Miney yeah. in the end. It was pretty rough. Um, 
but look, he was completely dominant in in Bahrain. A very average week. Well, actually, pretty poor weekend here. So let's see. It's it's man. It's just one or the other, isn't it? It's just no in between. Either he DNFs for one reason or another, or he wins, and it's it's so it's so hard to judge. It's not what he needed. Like if he was taking the cam approach in Bahrain, that went out firmly out the window for for uh, Jeddah. Yeah. As championship champions in the past have shown, you just need to be consistent, and the championship comes home to you. Yeah, so it's never going to happen at the race game. Yeah, he has has to play the long game. I thought he was in Bahrain sprint race, and what he did in Jeddah just obviously not just ruined, obviously put him out, lost him points in the sprint, but obviously completely screwed him over for the for the feature races out of position, and then yeah, and when, when bad goes to worse, and yeah, just not what he needs. Like he's in his standings, like it's it's fine, like he's still. He's a point behind. Having scored nothing from this from this weekend, he's still one point behind Boshong, who had a bit of a bit of a mare in the feature as well. But, oof, uh, yeah, not great for poor chair. My main takeaway is that the rookies are showing really good pace, but they're obviously still learning quite a lot, and have, their lessons were harsh this weekend. And I'm talking Behrman and Martans. They they were the two standout rookies this weekend. Yeah, they, they were the ones that were up at the front. It's not really the ones I expected it to be at the front, to be honest. But well, no, in fact that's incorrect because I predicted Bearman to win the championship. But, you did. Um, I thought it would come good after well Baku really, but saying that they're going to Australia soon, so whatever. <laughs> it was just silly little things, wasn't it? And they both basically did the same thing. Just Bearman managed to recover ish. And still get a point in the feature race, but Mortan's sort of cost himself. I would have said he was on for the win, to be honest. I actually don't. Uh, I think both had the same. I think they both took too much out of the rear tires, and the back end let go on them in some high speed sections. Yeah. Um, so I do think they had similar. The cause of error was similar. Uh, Mortan's actually had kept the car going, and then because the turning circle of F two cars is worse than a bus. We tried to get around again, having not Hold made the yeah, having not made its original turning circle because these things are awful at low speed. Um, lost it there, which was tough. Uh, I believe that was only a, was that only a VSC as well. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh jeez, that's awful. Given that what happened in the F1 last week, yeah, that was tough. I think look. Vesti, now look, Vesti should have been further up at the grid to begin with, but of course got clamped on the five-place grid penalty for his accident, uh, slamming into Vashore in Bahrain. So I think ultimately the the quickest driver in the weekend probably did win in Vesti. I think it would have been close with Martins. I think Vesti probably had the measure of him long in the long run. Right. He got, he's got within back within DRS. I think he would have got him eventually. Uh, yeah, pain me to say that, to be honest. Yeah, it's not like, I don't feel great about it. Like, it's not a sexy win. Do you know what I mean? I felt the exact... I, my heart kind of sank when Martins went out because I knew Vesti was going to win and it's like, ugh. Um, my heart sank for, obviously because for, I love Martins and that was tough. That was a tough one. He had a good weekend. Again, like Behrman, the pace was good. The, I know Behrman lost... Like Obviously, Behrman, again, really struggled with the tyres. They died on him. I know he had that spin, which didn't help, but it does... Same kind of problem that happened in Bahrain as well where he lost the tyres as well. So that's what he needs to get on top of. Martin, look, they, I think they could both be really encouraged by their weekends. I, it didn't end the way they wanted it to, for especially Martin's. But uh, did 
Behrman, yeah, Behrman finished 10th. He got like a point yeah. in the end. But Should have been a lot more considering where he was in the sprint race. They were both fighting for that feature race win. Um, mm. So, and obviously, yeah, Behrman lost out on points again, clattered by poor chair. So, rough one all around. But they both showed a strong turn of pace. Both showed, well, more so Martin's um, stronger than his Alpine oh, counterpart oh. and his teammate. <sighs> Qualifying was ridiculous. Yeah, qual- yes. qualifying was rough uh, from that point of view. So, um, yeah, so th- th- I would I'm encouraged for both of them going forward. I, in the in the, st- in the standings, you've got where is Behrman? Oh, jeez, Behrman in the top ten. Oh, oh Behrman is only one point to show for his two weekends. That's tough. Yeah. Um, it is. Premier weren't quite the same in Bahrain. To be fair, they weren't all that as good as they were in uh, Saudi Arabia. So. No, certainly stronger here. But again, Behrman was running well in Bahrain as well, and the tyres just dropped away from him. Uh, and Martins is it's in 10th and 17 points, which is only 16 behind Boshong in the lead. Like, it's still, after two rounds, it's still so wide open here. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Anybody could have one good weekend and a shoot up. Like, Iwasa had a good weekend, and he's two points behind in third. You know? Yeah, when you've got Daruvula with the double podium. Mm hmm. Uh, Duan only thirty after Duan's nightmare in in Bahrain, you know, a good good feature race for him, and then P two again, a bit a fair bit of luck involved. He got gifted it, but you know, he was still in the mix. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, puts him only thirteen points behind Boshong. Yeah, yeah, Brav Boshong is your F two championship leader. Year five, yes. <laughs> yeah, nearly over nearly a hundred races now to his name in F in F two, but. That's where things are. It's very open. Uh, obviously, Vessi pumps up right in the mix as well. Uh, any other stat? Like, what else do they to you? Is anyone? Yeah, Hauger got sort of screwed in qualifying. One hundred percent got screwed in qualifying. Got a point in the sprint race, I believe it was, and then right at the death. Well, I think he yeah. robbed that. I think off Leclerc right at the end. Yeah, um, and then I believe got points in the future race as well. So. Good points. He finished fifth. Yeah. Again, a bit handed to him with obviously Porsche dropping down and obviously the Behrman and Martin's stuff. But it held on, to be fair, held on against the charge of uh, Vashor, who again uh, somehow recovered to a P6 after um, spinning it and getting uh, qualifying last in, in qualifying. Mm. Did well, did very well. Um, shame he didn't, uh, wasn't further forward, but. Some of my other takeaways, uh, not the greatest start for Hajar. Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't been great. Crawford has been in the mix, did, uh, did not do well converting a sprint uh, reverse pole. <laughs> uh, did not That did not go to plan for, for Crawford, but he's been in the mix here and there. Hajar has been a little bit disappointing. Maloney kind of a little bit off of this weekend, spin in the uh the sprint as well didn't help his cause uh other than that enzo's not been great either no the carlin has not been uh not been the one so far and again a bit of a bit of return to earth for the the, the camp bosses as well so yeah your championship at the moment is boshong 33 porcher 32 wasa 31 vesti 28 deruvla 24 and then doing 20 you got hauger and Vashor on 19, uh, with Miney 18, and Martins around the top 10 on 17. So anyone's game still with a lot of season to go. So that's exciting in prospect. 
It is, yes. And the rookies, uh, the rookies showing as much pace as they have, and Martans and and uh, Behrman, that bodes nicely, sets things up nicely for uh, this championship as well. When we get to and Melbourne, three month gap. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> no, it's it's Melbourne to Baku, which is literally a back to back anyway. Two weeks, three weeks, two uh, weeks, and then you've got a big gap till we go to. Oof. I think you're uh, underestimating that slightly because it's Melbourne and then back not to the, not to the end of April. Oh God! And then there's another two or three weeks until Imola. Your back to back is Imola and Monaco, and there's two another week or so. Is that a triple header actually? Now I think about it. Yeah, triple header: Imola, Monte Carlo, and Barcelona. And then yeah, you then we're into the European leg. Your, yeah, Austria, your, your gaps really Hungary. appear. Your main gap is obviously really your summer break and Monza to Abu Dhabi. The rest of this is fairly compact, to be fair. Mm. You've got... Well, I mean, oh, actually, I take that... Yeah, I mean, two technically one race in June. You're, you've got the weekend of Spielberg falling on June and July. Yeah. But after that, there's Silverstone right after that, and then you've got the the Belgium Spa. That's why it's, That can't be right. There's... Apparently, Budapest and Spa are back-to-backs. Have they not figured out the, the scheduling snafu with the, the, the Spa endurance yet? That was last year. Are you sure that was last year? Yes, because I remember doing it, telling you about it. <sighs> Maybe the, I, mean, I thought you mentioned the calendar part of it, because apparently 23rd of July and then 30th of July, Hungary and Belgium, but that can't be right. Mm. That's right. Is Belgium the summer break this year? Yeah, apparently so. What the fuck? Hmm. Yeah, according to Scott, anyway, that's that's the break. That, yeah. something's not right there. That's that's going to be. That's yeah. I don't know. We'll see. No, it's, it's it's right, but yeah, it's not normal. It's not normal. It doesn't look so. right, does it? <laughs> it's because Zandvoort's earlier than normal. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do, well. it's, it's because of the calendar being twenty-three races for fucking no reason. It's going to be twenty-four, man. <laughs> that would act, that would help the uh, the problem we have. Shouldn't F two go to China though? Like, shouldn't shouldn't that be a thing that happens? No, could you imagine shipping them all the way over there? Jesus Christ! I mean, for, heaven forbid we go to Melbourne or Baku or anything like that. Or yeah, well, no. heaven forbid. Uh, anyway, any other takeaways from F two? Really, like it was some. I have to say, sprint race was really entertaining, and I feature race wasn't mute. too bad either. I was just watch the good race on mute. <laughs> And missed half the meh race. So. We are, we are on the phone for the uh, sprint race, by any chance. What was it doing? What were you doing that I had you on mute? I don't know. <laughs> sprint, yeah, the sprint know. race was good fun. Uh, really good fun, actually. I thought we were going to get a really good four-car scrap with Vesti, Behrman, Martans and Doohan, because he was hanging on. Uh, didn't, didn't quite work out for a few different reasons, obviously, but good weekend of action, I would say, for, generally speaking, F2 in, uh, in Jeddah. Yeah. Any other takeaways? Nope. No. Excellent stuff. Right, so that's all out of the way. Let's preview the Australian Grand Prix. So, uh, yeah, four, four DRS zones. Uh, are we, do you think they'll stick with them, for the four of them this time, for the whole weekend? Yes. I think they will. Uh, I mean, at least, look, if, if there's tension between Perez and Verstappen, that at least adds an interesting dynamic. But that, has, that comes with the proviso that Perez has to stick around uh, to with Verstappen so that means qualifying on pole or leading the first lap or first corner yeah and even then I don't think he has 
the raw ability to beat Max on on paper anyway. He had him on in Saudi for some reason, but had to match certainly. Yeah, don't think we quite had a hundred percent max that weekend, to be honest. Um, because he was ill the week before, so I missed a few days of preparation. So I'm gonna say we're gonna have normal max back this weekend. It's um, it's about the only thing that's gonna happen at the front, isn't it? Let's be let's be real. Yeah, must have crashed. crashed. Something Alonso isn't winning. Let's let's be realistic. Here's a here's a thought. For Verstappen hasn't won the Australian Grand Prix, has he? No, retired last year. Obviously, we didn't go for the two years where the Red Bull was a competitive in twenty one and twenty. Bottas. Nine, yeah, nineteen. The Red Bull wasn't quick enough. So this yeah, would be a first. Know. This would be a first for Stat- or for uh, Max Verstappen if he were to secure victory at Australia. So I think that's that's enough motivation. I think for him to to go do it. Yeah, there's not many tracks he hasn't won, is there? It's been a track he's been largely overshadowed that most of his career, especially being teammates with Daniel Ricciardo. Mm. Bahrain there. Um, technically not won at Silverstone. Technically, right. He's not won the British Grand Prix. Yeah, he's won the 70th anniversary, Grand Prix, <laughs> not the British Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, but look again. So I'm. Um, we do expect Red Bull to be pissing away at the front, but yeah, I'm. Yeah, there's too many straights for them not to piss away at the front. To be honest, there's way too many, especially if you have got four DRS zones that cause hmm. stupidly quick with the uh, triple DRS that it has. If you haven't seen that on Twitter, then you will not understand. But Lewis Hamilton saying it's the fastest car he's ever seen. Yeah, People taking that. Way out of context, Lewis purely meant straight <laughs> line speed, not the actual car. It's yeah, my my favorite part of that was when people posted the the 2014 Bahrain safety car restart thing, where it's the two Mercedes down the straight essentially, and the rest of the team is coming out of the final corner after like three yeah. laps. Yeah, it, it, he he meant in a straight line, not not in terms of race pace <laughs> or just the cars overall. Yeah, imagine <laughs> so. Yeah, the rare Hamilton defense on the uh, Switchback podcast. Uh, so, so obviously Red Bull aside with their dynamic again. The only thing that way up becomes interesting is Perez is able to take it to Verstappen. Otherwise, yeah, it should be fairly a formality there. The rest, right? So Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari. What do we think? First of all, can we see a better Ferrari performance this weekend? No. <laughs> purely, purely, just because I just. Saying that they weren't really. This was one of the, the the dominated tracks last year for Ferrari. Even though Max retired, they were Charles was just quicker. Yeah, on race day. So I don't know actually. The car literally hasn't changed that much. So maybe, maybe more in the mix. But it depends, doesn't it? Because they just don't seem to quite have an understanding of where to get that car in the window when it needs to be. And no doubt we'll probably take two new engines before the race even fucking starts. <laughs> yeah, there is that. So. There'll be some reason that we just don't turn up. Signs will probably spin out that one because he stars on hard again. tires again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got some right. He's got some wrongs to write this year. I feel like for that, I do fair... need to get fucking going. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> I do think we didn't get to really see the proper Ferrari extent of things with the clerk at Saudi just between his penalty and being stuck behind Sainz. Yeah, it, 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 I think he just immediately as soon as the safety car restart came out. 
it was basically a sit behind, don't bother overtaking, turn the engine down. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere. So, with, with obviously not having some penalty this week, I think that will certainly give yeah. him a better platform. So, I do, ex- I do expect a better performance with Ferrari. Not only, not just for that, but obviously the bar is pretty low from Saudi, finishing sixth and seventh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah. So I think Which they probably could have been even worse. Yeah, that's that, that's with Stroll not finishing. Yeah, it could it could it probably should have been seventh and eighth, to be honest. You know, well, like, well, Stroll. Yeah, so I believe he his was a I think it was an ERS issue. Yeah. That was uh, holding him. So obviously, you, we've seen when you don't have the proper. Uh, supply of um, battery how much of a lap that can equate to so probably given his reason to why he was jumped the manner that he was uh, with Sainz's overcut so you have to imagine they'll be in the mix so yeah I want to see what their fry will do Mercedes I some reason we told you this may not be a better track for them mm. that said they were decently they were decent on the they were decent in Saudi so we'll see I do think I do think Leclerc and the Astons can edge them. Ooh, that's interesting. Mm, I think I think Leclerc can. Science, I'm kind of just at. I'm not as low as I was at Science, say after say this race last year, for example. But I'm not exactly uh, forgive the pun the hot on Science at the moment. I don't think anybody is really, unless you're a massive science fan. Well, you are. That's, even you are lower, a bit lower this this time yeah, of the year. I, I, I'd, I'd favour him, but to be honest, I don't know why. You hope, you hope that he can be more than what people said he is, but he never, that he never was. Mm. Which is harsh, just, but you know, sad. Yeah, unfortunately. I, like, I think you'll figure it out, but yeah. He could certainly help himself with a good weekend here. Um, I'd like to see Strolls bounce back here as well from disappointing results, just to see how he gets on. Obviously, Alonso, see what he can do in qualifying, if he can get anywhere close to the Red Bulls, and if he can, I guess, pull away from the rest, or be the more worse fight. We'll have to see how that works out. Uh, midfield, of course, I'm still interested in. So we know there's some upgrades coming for some... I think Alpine have an upgrade coming. McLaren have some minor things. Yeah. So now, obviously, teams bring some circus specific stuff every week, anyway. Yes. But there are some a few. I think Mercedes have some. I think Mercedes actually have some uh, Australia stuff coming as well. They do. They do. So uh, this is not related to their major changes that are coming. No. That uh, they've already stated that Imola, I think, is the race for that. Yep. So well, there's no shame if it looks identical to the Red Bull. Yeah. Brilliant. Let's. It won't look Red Bull, but there's no shame if it does. Uh, Alpine I want to see Alpine get on I thought the race pace was pretty good in Saudi I want to see where that at's at especially with an upgrade yeah I want to see because again they've talked about this aggressive upgrade strategy so I don't think they're a million miles away I really don't from at least certainly in, in Jeddah they weren't that far away race pace wise couple of couple of tenths of lap track. that added up yeah this was a good track from last year so yeah should have should have had a front row start yeah with Alonso so I'm definitely interested for them. I want to see how Alfa Romeo responds because they, they just did, they didn't they were right there in Bahrain and looked all at sea in Jeddah on yeah, Red Sea. They were bad. So now there was some floor damage for Bottas, which explains his. Joe, I thought had a good race, uh, or a solid race rather. Yeah. They're, just, they're doing what they did last year, effectively, just the opposite ends of the season where they were 
great in Bahrain and then immediately just went to shit. It's mm. just nowhere. It's, it's disappointing because I, I say I'd like that like that car, but um, yeah, I, I don't Hopefully have a t- bounce back. yeah. I don't have a ton of opinions on Haas or AlphaTauri at the moment. Or Williams, to be honest. I'm like intrigued Williams. by Williams. I have more, they, they much more of an interest in Williams than the other teams, for sure. It, it's, for me, the ones to watch this weekend are, are McLaren and Ferrari. A, McLaren just nice sort of <laughs> get their season underway. Yeah, get a clean weekend in. Yeah, without sort of giving each other wing damage, which wasn't even their fault. But, you know what I mean, the odds on them... One car getting front wing damage and then that in turn damaging the other car <laughs> is literally zero to none. But it happened. So if they can avoid that, then that would be great. Um, just clean. Just please just finish the fucking race and not battle with Logan all race long. That would be nice. So, yeah. If, if they finish the race, I think they can score some points. Or eight yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think both cars get the points. There is too many good cars yeah, up front I, now. I agree. There is you, You've literally got two slots. That's it. You literally need at least two of them to crash. Which could happen with Stroll around. You never know. Yeah, very <laughs> possible. Yeah, I, obviously a home race for a Piastri as well, which mm. would be good for him to get under a good... Uh, get, nice for him to score a point in his home race. We'll see. But I do think there's definitely a point or two in that McLaren for sure. So... And we'll see what they their tweaks do as well. So I think, yeah, again, their season has been bad, but it's been it's been worse than Out I of think. Context. Yeah, I think it has been better than people realize, and there have been some good characteristics there for them. It just hasn't uh, again, which is because it's more bizarre why the, the key thing occurred, but is this soon? But anyway, could have been a key decision. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna miss making that again. joke until he gets back into the paddock. <laughs> yeah, could it's gonna be a key hire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm interested. Yeah, Williams and McLaren. I'm interested in certainly. I think yeah, those are the ones I'm really interested. In. Other than that, like I, yeah, I don't Probably have a two shits about Alfatari. Yeah, <laughs> I just have just, no just, opinion really at the moment. Just do something. I, I mean, guess. Sonoda's been driving fine to start. He's been, he's he's scored eleventh twice, which has been unfortunate. Yeah, he's very devastated and he's been very about... he's been very close on both occasions. Yeah, very devastated. That car should not be anywhere near the fucking points. Yeah, so I think he's done well for himself. And DeVries has been fine, but I just don't have a ton of opinions on that car at the moment. And again, Haas, I just want to see, I just want to see just patterns with them. I just want to see what their tire stuff is. Uh, and Huckerberg getting up to speed. And like, really, I don't have other, any other thoughts on that. Like, Magnussen will do the job. Uh, Hulk has been qualifying well, just needs to iron out some race stuff. But I think, yeah, I think they'll be fine. So yeah, I don't have a ton to really look out for, really. I'm more interested in... This is, this is an important weekend for a few reasons for Daniel Ricciardo. Because one of the yeah. things that he stated on record as saying was that this race would tell him a lot about how he basically how he feels this, about being a, a, a spectator of this race will tell him a lot on how he feels coming back to F1. Yeah. So I don't want to say this is a make or break for that, but this is certainly important it's, for it's that. Big a big moment of the story shall we say yeah it's an important chapter I, I don't think he's going to miss it to be honest yeah so into, I feel I feel the same I, I, I think I just think he's dumb yeah I'm beginning to sneak more into that line of thinking I, I just to me it's just lining up for IndyCar man lining up come on we all want to see him I'd love to see him in IndyCar mm-hmm Need to see him in IndyCar fight. 
because he's not done with racing. I just think he's done with Formula One. Yeah, I think so. And that's and that's sad, given again all the reasons we mentioned with Key being basically passed down to Ricardo in some regards. Yeah, it's, they didn't build him great cars. No, twenty one was yeah, twenty one was fine. He got a race win with us. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I really don't have a lot of thoughts, really. So really, isn't it? Um, we got F two and F three, which should be fun. I know you're against. I am. I am not fucking getting up to watch that. <laughs> Fuck that. To be it's fair, you just a. You've a long time to watch a repeat, a rerun somewhere on Sky Sports between now and, or between then and round number four. Yeah, it's honestly. The fact I'll be getting up at God knows what time to watch the Australian Grand Prix. I am not getting up at fucking two o'clock in the morning or staying up till two o'clock in the morning to watch an F3 race. No thanks. Yeah. I like I like them, but not that much. <laughs> I'm not fucking up my entire sleep schedule just for that. I'm not, I won't watch them live either, but I think they're going to be a lot of fun. F3 yeah, yeah. in particular. So, so do I. So do I. I. I just don't see me enjoying them as much at that time yeah understandable even like look i'm a sicko for junior category stuff even though i won't go live to watch that now staying up could be a different story i'm not sure it, it really depends, it depends on what time it falls yeah if we're like if we're up anywhere and it's only like a sprint race and i'll stay up and watch it but i'm just not making myself get up for it it's uh obviously the sky sports schedule that i normally go off will be completely wrong so I'll probably get up and all races will be done anyway, so I'll probably miss F1, to be honest. Mm. It's normally the case with Australian Grand Prix. I normally miss it. Uh, I was trying to find if uh, I was trying to find on Sky whether uh, whether the, they had the schedule of for the times for the uh, the for uh, for the race yet, but nothing, nothing as of yet. Six o'clock. Six o'clock for the main race. I, I want to see the junior stuff. <laughs> Qualifying is at six, and if you want to get off FP one on Friday, it's on at half past two. Noise, <laughs> but I can watch. I can watch FP two whilst I'm at work. <laughs> Does it start at seven? It starts at six. <laughs> uh, brilliant! Yay! Yay! Right, shall we make some predictions? Right, well, let's just do third to fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to bother uh, doing no the point, is there? There's just no point. <laughs> All right. Well, no, 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 no it's, uh, actually, no, I am messed. Yeah. <laughs> right, hit me. Go, go one to s- throw in one to seven. Let, let's open this up a little bit more. I think we have to at this point. Yeah, let's do one to seven. Someone gets shafted. Max. Yeah. Perez. Yeah, I'll go with that one. I just think the straight line speed is just going to be a bit too much for the other teams, to be honest. Fuck yeah. Charles the club. Charlie Leclerc, let's, do it. Let's have a bit of faith. Yeah. Fernando I, Alonso. Yeah. Lance Stroll. Yeah. George Russell, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Not good for Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sides. Yeah, not great, is it? I'll throw Hamilton ahead of Stroll. So Hamilton in fourth. You've got Fifth. the same top three of them. Top Ye- four. Same top four. And then uh, yeah, and Russell, yeah. Russell behind Stroll, probably. Is where I'll go with that. So, <laughs> I did enjoy... Uh, speaking of Hamilton, I, uh, obviously, uh, there was the court case that um, Nelson Piquet was fined nearly a million dollars for his 
racist homophobic co- uh, comments about Hamilton back in 2021. Uh, I did find it funny. I believe he was on the grid in Sao Paulo for Formula E on the same day that that came through. Hmm. So I just thought that was funny. Uh, just someone just asked him about it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's our that's yeah that's our thoughts on that. So that's. This is now we've all with with the throw-ins for uh, F two and the Villa Peroni is a little longer than the uh, anticipated. We've both realised, yeah. Yeah, but feck it, that's what these are for. So you got you got to fill in race uh, non race weeks. Actually, I don't I actually don't mind race weeks being a little bit busier. Uh, not like our non coming from non race weeks being a little longer than race week itself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's. It's race week. Race reviews are like to the point and try to focus, and that's all good. Then I like the week star tangents, McGee. So that works for me just fine. But yeah, anything else you'd like to add? MotoGP, otherwise, or with no IndyCar? Um, I think there's IndyCar no f- is next week. Good. Uh, oval. So keep it's an mind. oval. Which oval is it? Texas, I believe. I think. Oh, uh, can I throw? Uh, I'll throw. I'll throw McLaughlin. Let's go see Ericsson or McLaughlin. Uh, I'm gonna be boring. You're gonna say uh, willpower? No, Scott Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems like one of them races where he's just gonna fucking shit out it last lap or something like that. Can be the case with Obels. You know what? I'm going to change it entirely. Stingray Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking God, Stingray imagine, Rob. Imagine the day Stingray Rob gets a race win before someone like Callum Eilat. If he wins before like Malukas or Eilash or Lundgaard or... Yeah, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I will laugh. I'm, I will laugh, but I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> because... He will get a move to like Penske or something like that because of his, his fucking American. It's one of those like I'm sure we've had those in F1. Those un, like people who drivers who have undeservingly won ahead of a driver who hasn't quite been there yet. Yeah, if you get me, you like I know this wasn't actually the case, but like that's a classic Ricardo Norris thing. Yeah, obviously Ricardo won that race on merit, but. I reckon Norris could have quite easily got it if you want. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like ninety percent of people will prefer Norris to win. Yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> funny. Right, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the Switchback Pokemon Podcast. I've been Graham. I've been Takumasato. Oh, always a good for an oval. That's a good oval shout in the Ganassi, isn't it? Is he yeah, he's in the Ganassi, isn't he? He's in the Ganassi, yeah. Yeah. Should be fun. And uh, we shall see you next time. Goodbye.